I'm back at it. New podcast. It's great to be back after taking a few weeks away. Quickly, while I've got the platform, I just want to say a big thank you for all the many messages and kind regards I've received about my dad. It's been really uplifting to see just how much that he meant to people. Um, the messages have been great to go back and read through. There's been hundreds of them and as I say, really uplifting to see. And I've really enjoyed the pictures that have been sent, especially the ones of him in Amsterdam in his little Everton cap before the cup final in 85. They've given me a good laugh through this weird time. So yeah, as I say, just wanted to take a, a quick moment to express gratitude before getting into today's podcast. I do hope you enjoy it. It's a pleasure to be joined by someone who continues to have a brilliant career in the industry, even after his playing days. He wore the shirts of Everton, Rangers, PSV, Manchester City and Leicester before venturing into consultancy and starting his own sports agency, CCR Sports. He's also a sports columnist for the Liverpool Echo, but I think above all else, he's an Evertonian. Michael Ball, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me, pal. How's things? Yeah, no, good. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Brilliant. As I say, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you as obviously you've fulfilled the dream of pulling on, on that blue shirt and you've also achieved a lot elsewhere like playing abroad and your agency but to start off for the grand old team audience I'd like to spend maybe 15-20 minutes covering Everton at the present moment. Funnily enough uh, before I had to take a break <laughs> Everton were unbeaten top of the league uh, and since then, we've played three and lost three, fallen to seventh. Um, of course, it's still early on in the season, but what have you made of these last three games? Yeah, no, you know, the start of the season was, was great. Um, we were playing some good football, a good sort of uh, creating a lot of chances and putting a lot of pressure on the opposition and we're coming away with the results and um, as I was saying in my column at the time, yeah, it's great. The the feel factor was, was was brilliant for all the Blues. You know, we haven't been at the top of the league for a long, a long, long time, and you know, the spirit of the Blues was number one, and yeah. you know, everything was all great and bouncing. But also, you know, I was as I was saying in Mieko, there was a lot of room for improvement in the team, the way we were playing. We were leaving a, quite a, I thought, a big gap between our midfield and defence, which could hurt us. And with the first few games of the season, the, the opposition never sort of got onto it and never probably put the chances away. Um, we got away with them. But the last three games, I think the opposition have done the homework a little bit. Um, and also our star players have been sort of uh, either suspended and, and injured since that international break. Our form hasn't been the same. We've gone back to being a little bit pedestrian, a, bit, a little bit obvious in our play uh, and with the opposition doing their homework. So, the collective of, of of those two, I think, has really hurt us. Um, and when you've got big players, I think every every side in the Premier League, you, your main guys are missing. You lose that sort of rhythm, and the guys who stepped in didn't have the quality to sort of um, you know to, to keep us winning football games, which is disappointing. Um, the international break just sort of come at the wrong time for us. You know, we, you're playing. You sort of you, even like the, in the, the League Cup games, we were playing you know, two or three games a week, and we had that rhythm of winning. The field factor was great, and then we had the international break, 
Um, we had a short period of time to get ourselves ready for the derby. You know, players, you know, traveling from you know South America, and we're expecting them to be a hundred percent. But we got we got a point, and then I just hope we could bounce back. And we we never we sort of fell into a sort of a flat a flat period, which was disappointing mm. to see. But that's that's it now. Um, you know, it's happened. So it's up to Carlo, the coaching staff, and the players to to bounce back and and get that sort of fast play um, that we, we started off with the season. We know it's going to be you know, a strange season with the pre-season being very, very short. Players will pick up niggles and you've just got to be able to manage it. And unfortunately, the lads who have come in haven't sort of hit the heights we expected to be to come and show Carlo what the, they're all about and show the frustration of why they're being left out of the, of the squad when they've come in. They, 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 um, they haven't sort of stood out at all, which is really disappointing. Mm, yeah. Definitely, you, you touch on the absences there, and like me, I'm sure you've seen a whole spectrum of reactions to the performances of late. You know, I've seen, don't worry for Ancelotti to achieve what he wants to achieve, it'll take a few years. So, you know, I'm not bothered to, there's too much of a drop off in quality when the likes of Richarlison, Dina, and James are missing. And we're absolutely awful. <laughs> The, the performances haven't been good enough, yes, but I don't think the answer is that binary and polarising um, is that. So what does the Evertonian in yet at the moment say uh, in regard to the squad? Yeah, well, yeah, before, before the season, you were pretty pretty pleased with the work they did in the summer, bringing the players in and bringing the players in earlier. You know, numerous of seasons before, we brought in players... And so, you know, maybe roughly on the last day, and they've turned up not fit or they've turned up injured, and it's took them, you know, a few games and months to sort of get to the level where we want them to be at. And um, that was disappointing because by the time they got, you know, say, Gomez and Mean at the time, by the time they got fit, ready to play for us, you know, the, the league was gone. You know, we, we lost so many games that there was not much to, for us to fight for. Mm. So the plus side, we got them in early, um, and the, the difficult side is to keep them all fit. Um, and I think the change of how we played after international break, because we, you know, got Richarlison, you know, he's, he's fantastic effort of coming back, you know, he, he, and, but when he receives the ball, he can run 30, 40 yards with the ball and with, with him suspended for them for them games, the guys who stepped in can't play his way. Mm. Um, we've got to, we, we didn't have sort of like a plan B. We, we had a, a pack midfield, but no runners in our midfield. So we played, uh, you know, I said we call it like alien football. We played a game of football at a style that we've never done under Carlo, and especially haven't done it this season. Uh, I'm expecting to sort of, on paper, you think you're going to win them football games, but when you've got haven't got forward-thinking uh, midfielders who can run with the ball, it's difficult. Uh, mm. The only outlet we've got is Calvert Lewin. So all the opposition have to do is surround Calvin uh, and stop the threat um you know Calvin you know he, he hasn't been running and behind as much because he's been he's had successful with Richardson bombing down the wire on down the left he got Rodriguez on the other side sort of coming inside and creating opportunities for him so he's trying to stick to his game plan because it's working which I understand but we've got midfielders there who are great passes of the ball we've got Sigerson who is supposed to be creating chances for us but when he hasn't got anyone to sort of look up and they're not making runs it's difficult what we're doing is going backwards and sideways and if you're the opposition, you sort of get you get onto them a little bit and go. They've got no threat. They've mm. got no threat. So let's just protect our goal. And when we when we when we win the ball back, we can punish them. And they, as the game goes on, those last three games, you can see the opposition grow into the game. They weren't panicking. They just thought you know, they've got no threat here besides set pieces, which is the only. This has been the downfall. Um, early on the season, they've been good, 
we scored and found we'd be defending them really well. But since the international break, uh, the set pieces is probably the only time we've looked like threatening. Um, and you know, sometimes you obviously don't win them all, but you don't want to be playing football matches just to win games. Just on a set pieces, you know, set pieces are very important in tight games. Um, and we've got to, you got to, we've got to work on them a little bit to defend, defend, defend them wise. You know, it's quite surprising how successful we were early on. Uh, Michael Keenan has been fantastic with the, uh, defending our set pieces, but we're very, very deep. Uh, and I think Gary Neville now has sort of spotted it on Sky Sports of how deep we're defending. It's, it's, it's probably to protect Jordan for not coming out, but mm. it's, uh, it gives a chance that if anyone gets a flick on the ball, defenders or strikers, that it's going to cause us problems. So I really feel that we need to be a bit more braver um, when we're playing normally in, in open play. I feel like we're, we're far too deep still. Um, and that sort of number 10 role um, for the opposition is huge. You know, we watched the Man United game and I've seen like Martial, I've seen Rashford, um, I've seen... Um, Fernandez, Fernandez, basically getting them hot, finding spaces in that gap, and then returning with the ball, and that's you know as a defender, that sort of you know it gets me frustrated because they shouldn't. What if they find that space, they will do because they're great footballers, but you obviously shouldn't be able to turn, and they're turning and then running out our back four because our back four is so deep, and maybe it's what Carlo's asking of them, or they're not sort of brave enough to play a higher line, and I feel that with VAR. You can discuss that for, for hours and days, VAR. Yeah. But while it's there, if I was defending right now, I'll be playing as high as line as possible because you just don't know if a toenail or an ear or anything's offside. Yeah. That you can be braver to hold that line that split second, you know, longer. Um, and that's the most frustrating thing. You know, Alan was, you know, he's playing well in games, but he's supposed to be protecting the back four. But when there's such space in that middle, it's difficult for him to one press the ball, but also to protect his, you know, his two centre halves as well because the space is so big. So, hopefully, during this sort of international break, um, Carlo obviously majority of the players have gone away internationally, but he's got a chance to speak to the like, to the guys, the squad players, that like, if they need to step in, if there's been injuries, which has happened, mm. that this is what he wants from them, and to work on it, make it difficult for the opposition to break us down. Because that's when the time I feel it's a little bit too easy for them to sort of get into the game and start causing those problems, which. The, the good teams, the good players, and um, but I just feel like we're making it a little bit easier for them by leaving the door open by these spaces. Yeah, you make some brilliant points there. One in regard to the the squad players, like the the, the chemistry and the style of play is just different to the you know the usual starters. Um, it works in the League Cup against the Fleetwood and a subpar West Ham, but as you say, up against these top sides, it, you know it's just completely different. And another point that you made rightly so there is that the spaces left by the defence in the midfield, I think the, the best example of that, you just look at Fernandez's header against us, where yeah. he just ghosted in between the, the centre-halves. Um, yeah. As you say, you, uh, I did have a look at your pieces in the Liverpool Echo, and you did you highlighted those concerns about the defence in the midfield, um, where we struggled most against United, and against Southampton and Newcastle. Calvert-Lewin lacks service. Um, it, it, it is disheartening to see. But on the other hand, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison did manage to find goals over the international break. Um, do you think we can bounce back against Fulham? Well, yeah, I can. Yeah, because we proved we, 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 we can, you know, we, we, can, we can beat mostly any team when we're at our game. But it's just, I just feel it's our mindset at times. 
you know, what I was explaining before, say like the Man United game, which sticks out about um, that gap. I flip it the, the other way a lot and go, how many times did I see Sigerson in that area where he should be, mm. receiving the ball and turning? And that gives that space for Calvin to make a run. How many times did I see Calvin Loon you know, coming short in that space and turning? You know, I've seen Rashford do it. So, but, so the whole team itself, you know, as I said, we played alien. So it's like we never really knew the system. We were sort of trying singly instead of as a team. So I think that's what Carlos sort of really needs to work on his team now, you know, during this sort of break, that we need to sort of create spaces, keep wide. And it's difficult, you know, we're, you know we've got the Charles on one side, but then we play with Bernard, who likes to come in. That makes it cramped. But we should find space somewhere else on the pitch to, to hit the opposition. So, fingers crossed, you know, Carl, you know, Carlo, you know, he's, he, he, it's absolutely brilliant to have, to have him at the football club. And you put all his trust in him. Uh, how he wants to play the game and, and how he goes about it. But so it's up to the players to step up to the plate. You know, only going to give them, you know, the instructions and how he wants to play. But as soon as you step over that field, it's the mentality. I feel that we we lack at times over the numerous years. Um yeah. when things sort of sometimes go, don't go against us, our heads go down. And earlier on this season we we, we show good strength. You know, we've been a goal down. I've been watching it, you know, as everyone from the couch thinking, I'm not that worried because we're creating opportunities. But since the international break when we did concede, I'm thinking, how are we going to get back into this game? And it was only you know, maybe via set pieces, which you know we, we have got good ball, ball deliveries, and they've been very, very poor. So we haven't been popping the question. We've been hitting the first man. They've been sort of been getting floated in last minute, which it's sort of like schoolboy errors stuff. You know, so that's what I mean by we're making it easy for the opposition to stop us by you know we're not making it difficult for them. They're putting the ball in dangerous areas. Have a bit more belief in your ability to put the ball in a a dangerous area, which, which to be doing at Finch Farm. You know, mm. Carl would be happy with the reason why Sigerson's taking him is because, he, you know, Finch Farm in the practice and he, he's on form, he's spot on. But for one reason or another, the consistency of, of the match level, you know, he's letting himself and the, and the team down and that'd be really frustrating for Carlo. Yeah, most definitely. And as you say, while there was that sort of elation of earlier on in the season, there's just been times where you sort of slapped in the face with the, the Everson of years past, where the, the mentality and breaking through that barrier... Um, just seems to just read its head again, which you know, as you say, is concerning. But again, I know it seems like something that we just seem to regurgitate all the time. But at the end of the day, I don't think we've ever had a better manager than Carlo Ancelotti, and I'm sure the players, um, it, it, it's on them. I don't think it's exactly on the on the manager. Uh, I don't think you can. Yeah, it, it's it's it is difficult, and I I always try and put myself, you know, um. You know, you know, I'm a blue through and through, and you know, I'm frustrated every time you know we we drop points, and and it's dead easy to get on players' backs, and but also in, in my mindset, I understand how difficult it is, and sometimes being out of the team, um, you're sort of on the bench, you're a squad player, and you're expecting, you know, you're waiting for your opportunity, and I, I mentioned a few times, Mick Holland, that when it does come, you've got to, you know, hit the hit the ground running. Yeah. But I understand it's difficult because you're playing maybe one game and you might play a league cup, might not play again for two or three games, and, you, and then you're expected to be, you know, Pele all of a sudden. Mm. Um, but you know that is difficult. But that's just a, that's modern day football. So you, you've got to sort of find a way that to keep your body fit and ready and sharp and train harder than anybody else. And then when your opportunity comes, that you've got all the tools to go out and show everybody what you you're capable of. I just feel sometimes we, our, our sort of mindset is is like, you know, we passed the buck a little bit. And I think that's just maybe down to the types of players we've got. That We've got a lot of ball possession players. We like mm. to play football, like to play it the right way, and which is great. But there's, there's a lot of players similar. 
we haven't got those kinds of guys talking about earlier, but running with the midfield to break them lines. You know, I see teams against us sort of the midfield jog back into position and we've got two lines of four or a five and a four to try and break down, which is difficult against any team, mm. you know, especially Premier League teams. So we don't make it easier for ourselves. So you just want to be a little bit braver, you know, get Sigurdsson or we're playing that number 10 or in the right danger zones and, and hopefully you know, we start creating more chances. So that's, it's up to the players. You know, obviously our trust is full of behind Carlo, but the, the players desire, um, we won them first games because we all played as a team and we done the dirty work. We worked hard as well off the ball. Um, we, we made, we made it difficult for the opposition. We kept it tight. Um, you know, Pickford was on form. If you say it's the Tottenham game, he didn't have much to do. And all of a sudden, he pulled off two good saves, kept us in the game, and we won. And that's what you want. They're the type of performances you need. Um, but since the international break, I think they sort of took their eye off the dirty work. You know, you can't just turn yeah. up at the Premier League and expect to win. you still got to do the dirty work, the hard yards, and, 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 and have leaders in the team. You know, you can see Alan's a leader, but... He's got his own job to worry about, and I feel that you know, at times he's been fantastic for us, and at times I'm thinking he's out of position. But I feel that's just the way the um, the set up a little bit, where we're, that that gap between the midfield and, and the, the defence is so deep, it's it's making it difficult for our midfield. We've got three in there, so there shouldn't be any spaces. Mm. You normally you play with two, you'd expect to find gaps and spaces, but when you're playing three, it should be all the space should be out wide. But teams are finding it down the middle, which is quite alarming. Definitely, that that's some great analysis, and I think there are some messages there that the you know the squad of players really could do with with picking up on. Um, we'll leave it at that for the topical issues uh, and get on to your career if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, no problem. One of the things that stands out to me when I did a bit of reading uh, and research is that you know from a young age you went the Everton games as a kid, you were in Liverpool's youth setup. Uh, you were educated at Lillishaw, which I'm sure was a, a fantastic experience. Uh, it all points towards this tunnel vision and this ultimate desire to want to be within the football environment. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, there was nothing else I was you know, concerned about. There was nothing else I wanted to do. I wasn't really interested in school. I wasn't really interested in anything else, music or... I don't know, fashion or whatever. All I had as a kid was Everton football, kids on a football, you yeah. know, and just spent all my time kicking a ball against the fence in the garden, doing the neighbours heads in and I, I ballooned it over and <laughs> <laughs> jumping over it. And, that, and that's all I was. I was just speaking to my friends and even when I was you know, back in the YTS, sort of the dedication or the, as you said, the tunnel vision. I've just had one eye, I was just getting into that first team and that's all I wanted to do. And uh, I've been fortunate because, you know, coming even from school ages our teams were always good it wasn't just myself but my teammates were were good levels so when you're you know alongside better players you play better and yeah. um, I've had that fortune of nearly at every sort of age all the way through from when I started and you know I was younger and a few players were older than me and I was getting in their team but when you're playing with better players it makes you better you pick up um now, I used to sort of have like a sponge and take it all in. And if I could see somebody do anything different, I'll go, well, I'll try that and, and try and add, to, add that to my game. And that was sort of like a a mindset that I was like all all through my career, really, even when I was still playing. You know, you're, mm. you're, you're at some clubs and you, you bring in a world star. You look at him, how does he you know handle himself? What does he do? To, anything different than what I do? And you just try to add it to your game to, you know, to improve yourself. And 
and that's all I was like as a kid. You know, always playing with lads who were a little older than me, or stronger than me. But you know, I had to try and find out a way of, you know, of getting involved in the game and put my own stamp on it. And and as a lefty, you get kicked back to being left back. You know, you start a striker and <laughs> you meant sit uh. midfield, being back, and then you know, you know, that's it. Then you got left back, and that's when you sort of stuck. But you know, I was I, I enjoyed I enjoyed playing like any position, you know, especially at Everton. Like Howard used to put me in midfield a lot, and you know, I just enjoyed playing the game and putting that jersey on was a dream come true. Yeah, of course. And um, it's funny that you say that. Obviously, playing, uh, I've heard that several times when talking to ex-pros that that sort of resounding message of playing around good players makes you better. And I'm I'm sure from what I've heard, you were around some good players um, when you were on the other side of Stanley Park uh, during that time. Funnily enough, um, my cousin, who, who played for Ashington Stanley, played for, for Liverpool when he when he was a kid and similar to you as well, when he used to be training, he always used to have his Everton top on underneath. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well, they, were, they, were, they were great. Well, I mean, again, uh, when, I, when I started playing football and growing up, it ran about four and junior sports club and, you know, our, our, our team was pretty good and our coach was... Um, uh, one of the dads was Hugh McCauley. His son Barry was on our side, so he he was sort of half coaching his kid and scouting for Liverpool. And then he asked us to come and go into Melwood. The two or three of us from the same team. So we you know, for a number of the years, I think for eight nine years old, we we were going in. But it wasn't like the days now where you get all the kit of you know, which thankfully you know you don't get the kits and the tracksuits uh. to, to to go in with your name on you. <laughs> you just turned up with your own kit, and the only kits I had were Everton ones. So. It was great. The coaches were fantastic with Highway and Dave Shannon and Huey, and they did have a little bit of banter, give me stick, but you know I didn't care. I just felt good wearing wearing blue going into Melwood. And uh, as you get older, um, you know it gets gets a little bit serious, you know, because you start talking about schoolboy forms and of course. Cl- clubs. Clubs back then will start inviting you in uh, to come and you know over the Easter break to sort of see what what level you're at, and you know, Man United and Oldham, and, and I'm, all I'm waiting for is Everton, and, you know, Everton never sort of come calling, and you're just thinking, you know, I've got to make a decision uh, soon, and Highway, you know, put me in his office, you got Rush, you got Fowler, you got Mac Manaman to speak to me, to try and convince me to stay, and said, you know, it's, you know, you can play for this club, and even though you support the the, the Blues, and I was just looking at me, it's not me, Graeme Sooners, um, tried to convince me, as well, and he was Scottish, I was English, and 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 they were they were great. You know, they were trying to the utmost, but my heart was just on the other side. And then and as soon as I got the call off Ray Hall, or my father did that, Howard wanted to meet me for a meal. You know, my mind was made up. I was I was one yeah. was made up. It happened, and two, I knew exactly what I was I was going to. I was just going to go and sign for, for 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 the team I've always wanted to do. But you know, Liverpool was great. It was good. The coaching was, was was spot on, but. You know, my heart, I, I, my heart was always going to be on the on the blue. So waiting for that phone call was seemed like forever, but gladly it happened. Yeah, luckily. Um, and you, I mean, you mentioned there on on the red side some of the names like Fowler, Rush. You know, and I'm sure, obviously, growing up watching us through our most successful times, you've seen some tremendous players. Uh, who were your role models and the players that you looked up to as a kid? Um, as a kid, really, it was it was you know, just going. We were successful, weren't we? So it was it was easy, and there was a, probably quite a few. You could, you know, I used to love sort of Bracewell. I used to love Peter Reid's like passing with the outside of his foot mm. across the pitch, and then he's but Kevin Sheedy was a lefty. My eyes were always on Kevin Sheedy. Um, my dad would always say, "Look at Trevor Stephen because he wouldn't stop running. He was fit." But I'm, I was probably more like Kev rather than yeah. not run too much. <laughs> <laughs> just use my left foot. Um, 
but then obviously Andy Gray was scoring at that time when I was going a lot with all these diving headers and stuff. But I, you know, back then I used to love heading the ball, and um, so there was a majority. And then there was obviously Big Nev, you know. So there was loads to sort of you know, you're going to the park with your mates, don't you? And you know, if you didn't go, you you Nev. Mm. You're up front. I was Andy Gray. We made to be Graham Sharp, and uh, you'd be shooting your Kevin Sheedy. So there was we had such a good squad back then. It was it was them types of players. And when you get slightly bit older, and you find you. Like where's my position actually going to be if I'm ever going to make it? You start looking at you know other teams that were successful, and um, we had the dodgy indoor um, <laughs> aerial <laughs> in your house to try to get the Welsh TV for scoring out, and you're yeah. watching AC Milan games, and you know you see you know, the AC Milan's defence with Brazy and Maldini and stuff, and you you just start looking at what do they do and what do they add to the game, um, and it's, it was like I was saying earlier, it's like a sponge. You sort of look at players you. You think you can try and emulate and just take a piece of every one of them and try to add it to your game? Yeah, definitely. I think for any young players uh, or aspiring pros, that sponge mentality is, is certainly something to adopt. Um, mm. Something I'm always interested, interested, sorry, to hear about is Everton throughout the 1990s. Uh, you'll know yourself as you sort of went into there that especially during Kendall's first spell at Everton. It's an easy club to fall in love with. Uh, historically and traditionally, we're very successful and, and can be considered one of the pioneers uh, of English football. Um, my granddad played for the reserves in the 1950s and brought me up on the stories of you know the 60s and the 80s. So when you try and tell me about how traumatic the 90s were, I just sort of look at you like, get lost. Like I just, I just don't buy it. But I know you were still young at the time. But from your experiences as both a player and a supporter, what was that decade like? It it was mixed, obviously for myself because you know you finished school in sort of ninety six. You know when I was at Little Show, but we you know got invited for the cup final ninety five and mm. Wes Brown, who's my roommate, he went on behalf of United and you know, we won that game. So you're you're full of joys and and then we've won a trophy in a probably season or a decade at the time that you we were probably underperforming. If you look at that team that we had, we had some great players, but we just never seemed to click in the league for, for one reason or another. Uh, but we, we ended up getting a cup, which was great. It's 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 there. It's I always say that now that you know we've got to take every cup seriously because it's in your history. It gets added to another trophy in the cabinet, and mm. you know, for, for, for one reason or another, we we don't seem to take, um, I say, the league cup serious enough at times. And you know, there's probably opportunities we've we've let go. But then, obviously, '96, you finish school, you start YTS at Everton. So to me, it was it was brilliant because mm. I'm I'm being part of this club that I've I've always wanted to do. I'm trying to learn. Off, you know, you train with the YTSs for a for a short period of time until I was seventeen in the October, and then you, you you end up being with the reserves, which are you know, some good players around there. You know, with Limpar, Samways, and you know, good see you've had fantastic careers. So you're learning off them, and you're trying to sort of gauge where you are. You know, how far away am I from being there? That you know, we had like Andy Inscliffe was great with us, Terry Feeling, and I've got to think. Well, I've got to put to push them to one side. How, what do I need to go about it? So me, I was mindset of. That's what's my next level. How can I get into the reserves? And when I've done that, how can I get into the first team? Um, and I, that's where my my sort of head was at. And you know, it was great being invited by Nev. I don't know if many listeners remember Big Nev before games. It could be at Goodison Park about half eleven in the morning, on the pitch. 
you know, doing sort of keep you up with his shins with huh. you know, the with the other goalkeepers, and there'll be a couple of sort of whitey s's there uh, because we need to you know, clean the balls and get the balls out. So I love being a part of that. You know, I've been doing a few keep you up with Ned before the game, take the balls and clean them, and then I'll run round to the Gladys Street where all my mates were to to probably shout at them from the Gladys Street and sing and. You know, and the thing of them, me sort of teammate, they're my work colleagues, I suppose. But you know, I was a fan again at the Gladys Street, and then you just turn back up at Melwood on Monday, and you you got a professional head on. Um, but that, so to me, I loved it. Um, and then, yeah, we weren't going through the, the best period of time, but you know, I was just wanting the opportunity to play. And uh, before Big Joe went, uh, Willie Donaghy and Jimmy Gable, they were they were fantastic with me, and they got me involved with the first team quite early on, just training with them. Um, Way games, they would, you know, you know try and make the cups of tea for Nev, and no matter what cup of tea it was, had too strong or too weak or whatever. Uh, but he just loved doing it, loved being a part of it, and he done that because he didn't want me to be sort of maybe starstruck if I got called upon at any moment uh-huh. in time. That I'm sort of used to being around the around the first team and and understand, you know, what they're all about. So that was a great experience for me, just to travel on the coach, you know, not on the bench, just sort of being a part of it and. And it felt like, like I was thinking, when's we, when's it actually going to happen? When's my debut going to happen? And it just sort of felt that year was sort of slipping away from me, thinking, well, this is going to be this year of learning uh, off them, being around them, and then maybe next year I might get the opportunity. And then when Joe got uh, uh, got sacked and he left, it was it was sort of disappointing for me because I'm thinking, you know, I think he likes me, and mm. um, I might have I might have scraped for sort of the last game of the season or something. You know, it was. There was moments I was thinking yeah, I could get my debut, but so I was I was gutted when he left. But I'm thinking all that all that hard work this season I've done to get where I am from YTS in the October to being in the first team and having the first team, you know, by the end of Christmas. Whereas you know it was sort of every day seemed dead long, thinking you know when's this debut going to happen. So when he left, it was disappointing for me. But luckily enough, Dave Watson took over and, you know, he's obviously witnessed it. He's obviously seen how, how I was in and around the first team and how I was training with them, you know, every day. And, um, and you know, my debut did come because of an injury, um, you know, against Tottenham. But, you know, I was just sort of sitting on the bench thinking it's going to be, you know, another one of them days when I was sitting on the bench as a number. Uh, yeah. and it's not going to happen. But then luckily enough for me, it, um, you know, I think Teddy Fearon, Got injured or Craig Short got injured, and my my moment came just before half time. So that was great feeling. That was a big result back then. Could be you know we beat Tottenham one nil, and it was a the way the season panned out. It was a big win for us, and I understood what it was with the Evertonian situation. And, and my dad would always remind me, you know, you know the the poor poor season we've had. But on a personal note, it was a positive one for me because um, I, was, I was I was doing what I wanted to do, and I got where I wanted to be, and now. It was also how to stay here. And yeah, it was a difficult period in the 90s for, for everybody, but it was sort of, I was living my dream a little bit. And yeah, we'd like to be finishing higher than the league and, and winning more football games. But it was just putting that blue shirt on men's everything to me. So it was it was harder for me to take the, the criticism of where we were. Um, but it was personally, it was, it was great for me to just put that blue shirt on, you know, every time. Of course. Of course. And uh, something that, uh, strikes me from that is just the importance of patience. I mean, I, I know you said earlier that you did have this tunnel vision and almost like a bucket list of like, right, uh, you know, I've got this done, now on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Mm. And that sort of patience wearing thin of, of, you know, when's the when's the debut ever going to come? 
Um, mm. So I, I do think that's really sort of a vital part for, for young it, lads. It, it is, yeah, with the young kids coming through, I, I understand them. They like, Every club's different, and you look at some clubs that they maybe set a couple of 17 year olds in, and, the, and other clubs, you know, there might be a 20, 21 year old who hasn't had much league experience. And it's every club's different. I, I only got, you know, I was patient because I probably knew where my level was. I probably, you know, if ever we're doing really well and up the league, I probably wouldn't have got my opportunity. Mm. Um, and, you know, because we're probably struggling and they wanted probably more energy and, and um, less fear, maybe. You put a bit of more trust in the youth kids. But I knew I, I had two internationals in front of me, you know, when I was breaking through. You know, there was James uh, Cliff who was in out the England team and a Terry Feel. And so I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, so I knew that I had to be patient, but I had to be ready for when they were called upon to, you know, to to, gra- to grab my opportunity. And mm. it is all about patience. And while you're, you're patient, it is just... just just question yourself and you look at yourself in the mirror a little bit and think what 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 are they doing in front of me that I can add to my game and and it's just you know putting sort of belief in yourself that your your opportunity will come and make sure you take it. Yeah, definitely. Now, being born in the August of ninety eight, I missed out on an awful lot, probably more bad than good to be honest, but. One of the things I'm gutted about is I didn't get to see Andre Kanchelskis play live. Um, mm-hmm. Am I right in saying you played with him? Yeah, I played well at Everton. I don't think I did, um, but at Rangers I did. But Andre possibly helped me get my debut, <laughs> really, right. um, because obviously before most games you have the first team set up roughly. I was the manager, probably want to set up on the weekend. Um, against maybe the rest of the, the reserves and the subs and stuff. And you have a sort of bounce game to go through a few tactical moves and stuff. And obviously, Andre being right winger and I was left back, you know, I, I've been called over to, to fill in the space to be one of the 11 against the first team. And I was, I, I you know, I didn't really understand how it all worked. So mm. I was taking it serious. I was thinking it was like a proper match. So I didn't know it was sort of stop start situation. So when Andre got the ball, I was. You know, clapping him a little bit, probably <laughs> tackling a bit too much. And when he was running at me, I was stopping him. And you know, Joe Royal basically had to stop the training session and shout like ball. He'd let, just let him get past you. We're trying to do a drill. Um, maybe Andre probably wasn't <laughs> obviously not doing a hundred percent and probably mm. thinking, Who's this little lad here? Like, what's he doing? Um, and that was and it was sort of laughing and joking afterwards. And but that happened sort of I didn't like people getting past me. So I was like, Well, I don't care who you are, you're not getting past me, and I'm not making it easy for you. Um so, you know, that's probably put a spark in, you know, in Joe Royal's head to think, oh, hang on, I'm going to include him with the first team a little bit more and also maybe Dave Watson that to go, hang on. You know, he's not, Andre Kanchelskis was struggling to get past him here. So, you know, this, this kid might have something. Um, but him and around the place, Andre was, it was great as the YTS lad. He used to look after the YTS guys. He used to, you know, I think he used to send them all out to get the National Lottery back then. You know, National <laughs> Lottery, you, you couldn't do lucky dips, but, you know, you, you, throw, you throw a good... A good few quid of some of the YTS lads who run over to the shop and they'll stand there with the little pens and mark out the numbers and <laughs> um, you know when he left he, he, I think he bought all the staff a lot of a lot of presents to thank you you know I think everyone realised that you know what a player he was and mm. you know watching him as a fan was he, he was always great especially with the goals he scored at Anfield and stuff but you know it was a big big sort of scoop when we got him from Man United um, it was five million quid uh, Joe paid for him and um, 
But yeah, no, he's just the quality of them. And when when you used to watch them, you've got Limpard and and, and Kachelskis, they, you know, they, they were proper proper good footballers. You know, the brain of what he could do. And when I moved to Rangers, you know, he was one of the first to you know to, to welcome me to the club, and he, he liked it because I liked switching the ball from left back to to right wing. But the Hinchcliffe used to do it a lot to him, and he wanted to bring that to me. me, me, me Bring that to his game in Scotland, which didn't really last too long because he was uh, he was out the door not long after I moved up. But mm. he was just a uh, you know a special talent, and you just you just know when you see players at that that caliber, they they've just got that something different when football games. Brilliant. Do you reckon he's the most technically gifted player that you've had? I mean, um, mate, why? <laughs> Yeah, may yeah maybe, but but when I keep on getting, I you get asked by you know the people like yourselves sometimes you know like who's your best eleven or who's the best player you played against and with and they're, they're always difficult questions to ask because you've got to put yourself in certain situations and but when I always think back, Anders Anders Limpar seems to always crop up in my head, um, and maybe because we spent more time together um, playing reserve games more with him. Um, how he wanted to play, he could play football one touch, and you know, eleven aside, he played two touch. He could ping the ball 30, 40 yards with his right foot or left foot, and he'd be staying behind at Belfield, uh, doing sort of kicking the ball against the wall. But he get like the the YTS lads at the time, maybe like Jamie Milligan, myself, and whoever, um, and practicing our technique. And he had everything, you know. Mm. He was skillful. He was very clever. He was so small and so slight, but he was clever and sort of getting in front of players and. I think all round he just sort of had everything um, as, as a as a sort of footballer. His technique was perfect. His running technique was perfect, and that's what he used to sort of. I, maybe because I spent more time with it, you know, I remember him more of what he what he was capable of with the football and the career he had. And obviously, how good he was at Arsenal and and obviously with Sweden. And I feel he was probably like um, probably the most gifted um, okay. at that time and it's just probably the way we play football back then that probably didn't suit them you know we, we had say Vinnie Samways good footballer you know Granty um, and, and Andes um, but we were probably known as the dogs of war uh, more than the actual quality that we had um, mm. which was sort of probably a bit negative and probably the players didn't like that sort of comment of dogs of war which they, they were known as because you know, because of the midfield of Parky and Barry Horn, etc. But the quality of it, you've got Andre Kanchelski at the Limpar in your midfield, you know, you, you, you're going to cause teams problems. And, you know, I think that's probably the reason why we won the FA Cup is the, the performances of Limpar. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that several times that the group of players didn't quite enjoy that tagline of, of the Dogs of War. But yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted I've, I've missed out on, on players such as that. They did seem like such talents, but. Luckily, uh, on the other hand, when it comes to some of the bad that I missed out on, uh, I luckily missed out on the great escapes of 94 and 98. Now, where did obviously you play the role within that escape of 98? With, how were they for your nerves? Obviously, sort of fulfilling two different roles for each one. Um, well, 94, I was just obviously in the queuing up outside the Gladys Street, I think, yeah. around about half, half 10 in the morning with all my mates just to try to get in and um, all I remember really of that game is I think Vinnie Jones getting booed before the pitch when they call the for the Wimbledon guys come on and and then Barry Orn scoring and mm. the rest of it you, you can't really got no much memory of it um, and it was great because you meet your mates and we stay up and and you're just in that moment when I was playing um, 
I was I was never really too concerned. I don't know why. Um, I never probably probably because I was sort of such a blue that I, I had that sort of daft mentality. Well, whatever, and we're not going to go down. It's not going to yeah. happen, type thing. But listening to other people, um, ex-players, podcasters, you know, maybe like Don Hutchinson and stuff, I've heard their stories about it, and it's things start coming into place a little bit. Uh, how things were sort of building up between that week coming through and. Howard took us away to a hotel, which we'd never done before. So we did things differently, but maybe because I was used to going away with England, staying in a hotel before games, that it wasn't, you know, didn't seem different to me. I didn't really get onto it at the time. Like Howard wanted to you know, get us away, um, relax together, and sort of be around, and then all turn up at the game together as, as, a, as a squad, which you see happen nowadays before every game. But back then, that was a big decision. Um, he didn't yeah. want... People going home and staying up late and, or, or you know, struggling to sleep or whatever. Um, but I didn't really get onto it. I was probably, I wasn't aware of um, that. That was Howard's sort of way of trying to get the players sort of relaxed and then ready and concentrating for the game. And but then as soon as the as soon as you start playing the game, um, it's different. You sort of your tunnel vision to do what we needed to do. And then the only really moment I've got is when you know, um, when Coventry scored. Where Sort of, me, my heart sort of sank a little bit. You can sense the, the crowd's nervousness, and you're thinking, "Oh no, this could actually happen." That's yeah. when I really sort of it, it got to me a little bit. Um, my frustrations at the game, um, I, you know, I got a kick on the on the sideline, like uh, I, 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 a bit of a, a late tackle on my knee. So the the physio pulled me to one side. I was off the pitch by the family enclosure and. I was arguing with the physio that, you know, I'm not coming off. He he slapped me across the face to basically right. say, Bordy, like, wake up, mate. You, you, yeah. your, your legs got a hole in. You've got to come off. And so I was fuming, um, obviously gutted. So I was walking off and Howard looked at me with, I, I know, I obviously had like tears in my eyes and said, what's up with you, lad? And I said, well, he, he won't let me play on. And he went, well, get back on the pitch then. So then I turned around and just ran on the pitch. Huh. Um, and it could have been, you know, right or wrong decision. But luckily enough, we... We had that sort of adrenaline rush when the final whistle went, and you know we we scraped over the line, um, you know, and it was obviously it was obviously brilliant for everybody involved. And Don spoke really good of what, what happened with Howard. He put himself away in the office and he had a moment to himself. But I was getting thrown up by the doctors and the and the physios uh, oh. <laughs> round the throat of, of uh, how I disrespected them, uh, you know, on the sideline in public. But you know, everyone else, was, I don't think the lads were. I don't think we were like celebrating I think it was sort of relief in the changing mm. rooms you know we, we were sort of you know they knew the seriousness of it all and it's like we, well, they've done it but you know it wasn't it wasn't obviously a season to be uh, you know celebrating afterwards um, and because of my niece uh, situation you know I, I had to go back into Belfield the next morning um, to see the doctors and Howard was there and you know he just gives a massive big hug uh, I think he probably sensed that was his going to be his last game, and mm. he just goes, you know, you know, what what a day, what a night. Um, and I was just coming through my tablet, so I think it was more afterwards that it's probably sank in of how close we are, and you know, and when you get a bit older and wiser, you, and you look back at that year, and you look back at the, where we were in the league, you, it's a sort of if I look at that now, I'd be going, oh my goodness, you know, that that that's real massive opportunity of. of of you know, getting relegated, but yeah. when I was there in and around it, I wasn't. I was never really phased. I never sort of took it in. I think I just done it by game by game, and 
there's maybe once I remember, I think it was the Southampton game away where we didn't perform and the, the word sort of got mentioned of relegation. I just looked up. I'm thinking, what are you on about? Mm. You know, like if you have that mentality, you're never gonna, you know, you know, get out of it. Um and it, yeah, they were probably right. The senior pros, and they can probably see what was going to happen. I was probably too young and naive to sort of realise the, the the seriousness of it at all. I was probably too sort of cooked up in my own little bubble of I'm playing forever and I'm doing my dream and I just want to win every game and if it doesn't work, just move on to the next one. Mm. Um, it's only sort of, as I said, now sort of looking back of like how how bad and how serious the situation actually was. Yeah, I, I simply just can't fathom the the possibility of Everton even, you know, being considered uh, really as being relegation candidates. Uh, and just on that, really, just <laughs> got to say, good man, Howard, for uh, letting you uh, finish the job. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's where the doctors were shouting at me. And they, you know, they, they gave me the, you know, the big telling off, basically saying I, I was half a yard short, you know, I could have got the club relegated. I was like, oh, not my fault. You know? mm. <laughs> but, but, you know, you don't, you know, I, I just want to be a part of trying to save the club. You know, yeah. that's what I wanted to be. And probably the doctors were right. I might have been half a yard short. I might have slipped up or, you know, I think it was a Dan Huckabee, you know, who was the dangerous player. He might have took, took me on and I wasn't, you know, 100%. And, you know, if they scored, you know, it could have been down to me. So they're obviously trying to protect me, but also protect the club and, you know, but thankfully Howard let me on the pitch. I was a part of it to right till the end. But yeah, the the crowd and the nervousness near the end um, after the um, Dublin goal was uh, was something that probably woke me up of the seriousness of it all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd imagine so. And listen, I can empathise greatly with players with recurring injury problems. Um, I've had multiple knee dislocations and I've had a hamstring surgery in there as well. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it plays a massive part in how, you know, football executives view the, the utility and, and the market value of their players. Um, how, how old were you when the knee started impacting your career? Um, it was, it was a strange one because, you know, all through my career, I've never had an in- I never had a muscle injury. I never had an in- Les Helm, the old physio, whatever. And used to say to me, "You never. I don't even see you. I only I only see you the match days. I was never in the gym. I was never like in and around like the medical centre. I just turned up in my boots, trained, and went home. Hmm. You know that was I was you know unless like come in, do a few weights, or you know, want to see you about. <laughs> you know, uh, I forget you're here. And I, I was like, well, I don't want to be part of the medical side. I just want to play. Hmm. But then. I was playing a lot of football. I've um, seen a lot of t- uh, my teammates my own age, so, so like Wes Brown and, and, and Mike, um, what's it, Michael Owens and Stephen Gerrard at Liverpool. I've been having niggles, like back problems, hampering problems uh, with his knees. And I touched lucky out at the time. I was okay. Um, but I was playing, you know, alongside with England and playing a lot of a lot of games. And the protection, especially when sort of Walter Smith come in, um, he, he understood I was playing too many games. I was playing for the first team, then maybe flying away with England, playing Thursday night somewhere, you know, then flying back Friday and then we're travelling to say Southampton on the coach and then playing uh, on the Saturday. Um, and you're a young kid, so you can do it. You yeah. know, there's no problem. Um, but then it starts creeping up on you. And I, probably my own um, mindset was, I'm playing football, so it can't be that bad. You know, I'm playing Premier League football. I've got a bit of a, and it's, it's, I can't really explain. It's like a, like someone's got a bit of a knife and sticking it into your knee. You oh. get a little sharp pain, but it goes away, you know. And that's all I had. So I was thinking, I'm still running. I'm still, you know, there's, there's no swelling. There's nothing. 
Um, I didn't understand injuries. All I in my head was, well, we'll play the game and, you know, that, they can't be that bad. They might, they might go away. Um, but under Walter's training um, and Archie Knox, we used to do a lot of crossing and finishing. Um, and, you know, being on the left side, there'd be me and a few others. And you'd be out for half an hour, 40 minutes after training, sort of, you know, messing about, doing a lot of crossing and practicing and stuff. And every blue, maybe one every three crosses, I get that sharp pain in me right knee. Every time I bent to try and whip it in, I was thinking, oh, this is getting a bit, it's getting worse and worse. And I probably kept it quiet for a long period of time because I didn't want to lose my place. I didn't want to sort of bring it up. Um, but it comes to a point where, you know, you sort of off the cuff marks with a physio and go, you know, my knees a little bit. Like yeah. every time I kick a ball, something's happening and they look at it, they assess it and they go, well, they can't really see anything wrong with it. Um, you know, they plastic, it, it wasn't really that tender. So again, you know, all I did was precaution, icy, you know, if it was after each session or game, just to, as a precaution and play. But then it just start gradually getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and then you're speaking to the physio, trying to manage it. Walter Smith was sort of great at the time. He, he understood. He had tried and pulled me out of international weekends and weeks with, the, uh, with England because he said, mate, you played too many games, you need to recover. Um, and I wouldn't train. Probably my best season at the club. I never really trained. Um, and, uh, you know, Mondays, I'd be recovery. And then that's when I was never out of the medical office. You know, mm-hmm. I was basically in there. Uh, and then turn up, probably turn with the first team a little bit on the Friday, and then play the games on the Saturday. And that happened for, for months. Um, and while it was sort of good protecting me, you're probably losing your sharpness of not being, you know, in and around training, playing the sharp games and stuff. So you fitness-wise, you're probably losing a little bit. Um, and you're trying to get the balance right with your fitness and keeping off your knees. Yeah. And that's when I knew there was something sort of not right. Um I understood the protection, but the protection of me sort of lasted for a long period of time. And it was really when there was an opportunity, the physio said, look, we're going to do an injection. Um, and that hopefully will, you know, you speak to the physios and the doctors. And at the time, the physio didn't really trust the, the Everton doctor. And we went to Western Hospital and spoke to a sort of surgeon there, a uh, doctor. And he said, well, you can put this type of injection in to protect it, but you're going to be sore for a few days. I might be out uh, for maybe a week to two weeks um, after this injection. So we, we sort of timed it around an international break. So I wasn't going to miss too much games. Mm. And that seemed to work. You know, it was great. But, you know, obviously being injured on crutches for a few days afterwards. Um, but this is, you know, a bit, a bit, you know it's sore. Um it's just hopefully get back. And then as soon as I got back training, when, when the doctors allowed it, I was it was fine. Back playing and no problem at all. Um, but there was a... Um, when the, the end of the season happened again, they said, you need a second one because it's going to wear off. And mm. I saw that I had the second one. And, and I said to the doctor at the time, I said, I was on crutches for actually four days after that really sore. And he went, you shouldn't have been on crutches. And I said, well, I was. And he went, well, that's not right. And so that was a bit of a you know, warning signs. Well, I was like, well, I'm not lying. You know, yeah. it was so. He said, well, you played X amount of games. So blah, blah. I went, yeah, I did. Um, so it did work. So that was, it was just the, the pain of it afterwards. It was, was more than what the, the doctor uh, explained to me. So that, again, that was warning signs. And um, that, that summer, then I had a chance to rest, relax, and hopefully we need to be ready for pre-season. And it was, uh, it was still there or thereabouts, really. Uh, come back pre-season, and then that's when sort of everything changed on the Everton side of the career. When um, you know I, I was never going to be a part of the first team. I was training by myself. 
the medical side I was in sort of around the reserves but then more training with like the fitness coach and the, the medical team because you know, Walter didn't want me a part of the club which was you know devastating so in, you know mindset you're just trying to hopefully prove a point to him that you know you're going to be fit and available and you might change his mind but it wasn't to be yeah, uh, I feel for you massively in regard to the treatment that you need there because I, I was always warned about getting injections or operations on me knee in, in that it's never quite the same afterwards and sometimes... Yeah, well, we, I, people said at the time, you know, especially after a few players said that at the time, but you, you're youngish and you, you, you just put your, your trust into the medical people around you. You're yeah. bringing it up as a, an option. You know, I think an operation was an option, but they said that's you know that's a bit too drastic at this moment. You know, there might be a chance of fixing it with injection. So you put your trust and faith in them that they're doing the right thing for you and the and the club. Um so you know, you just go along with it and just thinking, well hopefully I'm not part of that statistic of where it makes it worse. Mm. And was was that around the, the two thousand and one where you left the club, yeah? It, yeah, that was um that my last one was obviously at the end of that season. Um, so coming back into pre-season, you know, I, I was it was really disappointing. Um, I had a good season. Um, I, I got you know, I was, I was player of the year. I think it was 15 and 16 supporters. I got up 15 out of the 16. And you think, you know, Alex Young, and my dad was made up. I met Alex Young. He, he presented me the reward. And, you know, I was like, great. See you next season. We were, we were talking about a new contract, but it wasn't like... Um, there was no rush for it. You know, yeah. I had a couple of seasons left. It was sort of because of I've done well that they wanted to give me a new contract and I was away on holiday. Um, but there was clubs putting all kinds of offers in. There was rumours of my situation, what was going on. And, you know, I, just, I didn't speak to anyone. I wasn't really interested. So, you know, I got the call to come back to Goodison um, to sign. So I broke my holiday up, went back. And unfortunately, by the, by the time I got to Goodison, the, um, the secretary said, you know the, the board have changed the changed the mind. They won't be offering the contract. So, yeah, gutted. But I know I still had a couple of years anyway. So I was thinking, well, well hopefully they might change their mind again. And I, I put it down to maybe my injury, thinking, well, they probably want to see me back playing first before, you know, um, they offer me the contract again. But the uh, club started putting in offers in. You know, club, you know, obviously the Reds put a few in, uh, Middlesbrough and Rangers, and you know, I was, but I wasn't really interested. But the the press started. You know, find a little bit more, you know, what's going on, how come we're not involved in it all. And, you know, I was just really sickened that, you know, I didn't actually get to speak to Walter Smith face-to-face to find out, you know, what's the problem. And in my own sort of selfish way, I was thinking, well, you know, if I'm still here, I, he's going to go before me. You know, we're not seeing yeah. eye to eye as we did early on. We, we got on really well when he first came, but our, our relationship did sort of sour near the end. And But, you know, Rangers, he, where he's a legend, where he's a... You know, he's seen as you know, one of the best managers in their history. You know, they've come sort of showing interest in me. Trevor Stevens was my agent. He lived up that way. And he basically said, Mike, come up just for the weekend, get out of Liverpool, you know, just, just come up, come, come up, relax. And um, and David Murray wants to speak to you. He was the, the Rangers chairman. And you're thinking, well, if, if Walter didn't like me that much, he wouldn't be, you know, surely the chairman would have spoke to Walter regarding me and, and whatever. And it just sort of didn't add up that I didn't have a chance to speak to either the chairman to say, well, you know, what's going on? Um, but that's what your agent. You, you just listen to what your agent's got to say. But I'd like to, at that moment in my career, be able to be a man and speak to people face to face and go, well, what's the issue? If you don't want me, you know, you know, let me know. But, you know, he's just said he's going to, 
you know, he said to me, Adrian, that I'm just going to be part of the reserves. You, you might rot in the reserves. And, you know, I was sort of had my eye on England, you know, 2002, the World Cup was in around the England setup at the time. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, this can't, it can't all stop now. Um, and um, Steve McLaren phoned at the time to come up and look at the training ground. I'm not interested. You know, I was, I've just I've had to train on my own, get fit, and hopefully an opportunity will happen. And then, <clears throat> like it did early that season, you know, Walter never played me earlier on that season. And then through an injury or through force, he had to put me in and I started playing well. And then he kept me in the side. Um, and he ended, as I said, got played the year. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, let's just do the same again. You'll get the opportunity, prove them wrong. And then I can get the, the you know, we're talking about being the captain of the club and in, in the contract and everything. So everything was sort of, half still rosy for me. I just needed to prove that my fitness was right. And maybe there's there's the political side of things behind it all, which now I'm old, older and wiser than what you know what, what I do now. It's that's probably accept you know affected the decision of of the board of thinking this knee could have been a lot worse than what they thought and there's money problems and they're getting a big offers from clubs that it's something they can't turn down. They can't take the risk of me offering me a new contract and then I might break down within you know, a few weeks and it's sort of wasted money that we could have brought in transfer fee-wise. So that's probably what's happened. But at that, at that moment in time, uh, when you're the player, you're just sort of devastated. The club that you love aren't showing the same love back. And then you just got to start thinking of a, what do you do for your career, which you never really want, well, I never really wanted to do. All I wanted to do is play forever and captain the club and be there and get me testimony. That was my dream. You know, that's what I want to do. And when that got took away from you, you've sort of got to, from the the low the low that happened and the you know the sadness at the time, you got to think right, what what can I do? Um, Howard Wilkerson spoke to me uh, numerous times. <clears throat> it was the England manager and part of the England under twenty ones and the, the head of the FA, and he was explaining. He thought my game was getting too defensively. The way I broke onto the scene, I was I was quite attack minded, but also good mm. defensively. But the, maybe the way Everton played, um, sometimes you play with five, six, and maybe seven defenders on the pitch at times that that come away uh, from my game and you need to sort of add it in and if it's not going to be at Everton you need to go and find a club that can play you know forward thing of football and free-flowing football because it's going to, going to block your England path and you just listen to all the experts and people who are, who are nice enough to reach out to find out what your situation is and um, and then when I went up to Rangers um, you know, I've got, you know, David Murray if your listeners don't know you know he lost his legs at 21 and you know he very good businessman, but you know, just speaking to face to face, he was he was showing me that sort of that love and that compassion. He was obviously doing the sales pitch on Rangers. I'm thinking, what's what's going on here? You know, yeah. I've you know I've only really caught to out of respect, really, to say thanks very much for your interest. But you know, going back to Everton, really. Um, but then within a few hours of him showing me around Ibrox and you know showing that his time as the chairman, which I never got at the club I wanted, I, you know, I made a phone call to my dad. I said, look, I think I'm. You know, they're saying all the right things here. They're saying, like, you know, he had Casco and he had Gattuso. He got them playing Champions League football, got them into the England, you know, got in the England team and um, Bronkhurst and, and all these players who, yeah, some of them were obviously probably all the time at Rangers, but there was players there were, you know, were, you know, he, he helped sort of shape their career. And what he was going to do is bring other players in to, to push the, the um, Scotland football into the Champions League and you. You're in that sort of goldfish bowl up there of um, of showing everyone what you're capable of, and um, you got game time. We're playing football, so it, he was saying all the right things to me and and doing a big sales pitch. And 
you know, I, I was, you know, I was thinking, oh my God, I think I'm going to sign, you yeah. know, and um, we agreed, February agreed that, yeah, uh, you know, that's what's going to happen. Um, but then there was the long twisted sort of, I think it probably went on for two, three weeks um, because the medical side of things from Everton, Everton wouldn't send the, the records to, to Rangers or the medical records for one reason or another. So Rangers had to do a full a full medical on on my knee because they knew of injections, they knew of something about my knee, so they wanted to get to the bottom of that. They had a full-time doctor um, you know, at the club, um, at the medical side of things, who looked after that. And you know, he was great, but he said, look, you need to do this, you need to do that. So that took you know, seven, ten days or so of passing all these tests. And he was still scratching his head. I think he knew by looking at scans and photos there was something not right. But I was managing to be able to do um, what he was getting asked, plus more. The manager, Dick Advocate, was happy with me with training. Um, but I still hadn't signed. I could still probably pack up and just leave. I'd just yeah. go back to Evan, I'm not, not interested. But then I had that sort of doubt. I had sort of like 50 50 in my head thinking, well, do, do I want to go back to Everton? I was like, yeah, but then I'm going, well, no one wants me there. So what am I going to do if I go back to Everton? Or the medical staff going to be the right decision with me knee? You know, they've got a full-time doctor that are doing all these tests I've never seen before. And um, I'm thinking, you know, what can I do? So I, I was questioning me, myself and my decision. And, and it wasn't like an impulse, like I can sign for Rangers. I had to think about it for a long period of time. And, and there was probably a close chance that Rangers might pull the plug because what was happening and Rangers lost out um, to John Hartson in the year before because they'd done a similar thing with the, the medical and he failed mm. um, and as we all know he, the following year he signed for, for signed for Celtic so you know Rangers probably didn't want to miss out again so the doctor did warn the club uh, about me but because I was physically going out training and doing it they, they were happy with it and funny enough you know uh, God rest your soul Sean Connery was the guy who, who told me <laughs> you know he, came, you know he came. He was a good friend of David Murray. I was doing my fitness uh, drills with a with the physio, and he, he just drove onto the pitch and and sheltered me over uh, around his window down. Got in the car and drove to, uh, drove about sixty yards, I think. <laughs> That's what it was to uh, to David Murray's uh, office, and he said, "Look, we're going to sign you." I've spoke to the Ken Wright, and we've come up with an agreement of. I think it wasn't. He'd never flicked the coin. I think there were. I think Everton wanted seven. Rangers didn't want to pay more than six. And he, he explained that, you know, we've come to a bit of an agreement that, you know, we'll play it, we'll pay it in sort of milestones of when you hit certain targets. And when Goodison goes, um, gets demolished, I'm going to get the steel out of Goodison. And I had a little smirk on my face thinking, does you know, most of it's made out of wood. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, so, you know, he didn't have to tell me all this, you know, and that, that was sort of the honesty that he had. Yeah, and, honesty, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, okay, so... There's, it's obviously in cement there that you know, Everton have accepted an offer and there was nothing else I can do. So I was thinking, right, that's that, that's me start of a new career now. And, um, and, and you know, Rangers, it, this is it. And going back to Belfield and picking up your stuff, that was the worst probably time of my career. Going in and saying, <clears throat> saying sorry, you know, saying sorry, really, not saying sorry, saying tarahs to you know, the people I've been around with for, for years, you know, the, you know, the girls in reception and and the dinner ladies, the you know the the ground the groundsmen who you you mess about with at lunchtime playing head tennis, and you're just gonna miss being around it. You just, and then that's when you start thinking, is this the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? But it was out of my hands. They, the club didn't want me, um, so there was nothing else I can really do. Um, I could probably bide my time and wait till Walter Smith leaves. But what happens if they played well and 
there's no opportunity for me. You know, I'm crucial age and not playing football at 2021. You know, it was... Uh, and after being a part of it for roughly three years would have been, you know, a blow for me. So it was sort of total mindset going back, picking my boots up, picking my bits up, you know, breaking down in the car, getting home and thinking, right, well, that's that's that over and done with. And maybe one day I'll return. Um, but mm. now it's a, a new doors open, new challenge. And, um, you know, it's up to me to sort of prove to Rangers, you know, why they've, you know, risked a lot of money for me to bring a, like a young kid to them. Mm. Yeah, ah, oh, mate. Like listening to you describe your exit, like obviously no one should have to be get getting put through that. Um, and I mean, I, I grew up during the Moise era, and I knew we were strapped for cash. But as I say, like I don't know, I, I, that's just out of order um, from the Everton side of things, and that the steel involved in the deal. I mean, that's probably half of the obstructive views from the Gladys Street, but. I don't know. As I say, that, that must have been really hard for you to go through. And as you say, at the age of 21, still really young. And was this, would you say, like the sort of watershed moment of, as a professional where you've got to detach the emotion from your decision-making in regard to your career? Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Um, and you sort of got to sort of own it yourself, but it wasn't like a choice, you know, that was the, the choice I had is where I'm going to go. You know, the only club really um, that was in was, was possible was going to be Middlesbrough, who were doing really well. They were spending a lot of money bringing players. Steve McCartan was part of the England FA, so, we, you know, it was Wolfgate, Danny Mills, and um, who else did he bring in? But he brought bringing in a lot of, lot of youth players I knew or grew up with. Um, so I was thinking, well, yeah, but I don't want to play against Everton. You know, that was another decision. <laughs> I was thinking, well, I got signed for Middlesbrough. One, you're wearing red and then you're playing against Everton. <laughs> so it's stupid stuff like that was yeah. in my sort of mindset. And I thought, well, if I go to Rangers, I won't be playing against Everton um, for the seeable future. So it was a chance for me to sort of, you know, learn off the players that they had there. You know, they had some world-class players there. And, you know, it, it, being in and around the training sessions, it was totally different from what I was used to. You know, it was the, the high level when you go away with England. The trainings were... And Dick Advocat was like a general, the manager. He was, he took everything, he took all the sessions. And, you know, you had Michael Moles run up the board, Tori Andrew Flo, and the, uh, Barry Ferguson was, was a great young kid. And he, he reminded me of myself coming through. There was all big talks about Barry. He was, he was like the little local lad, midfield general. He just got been the captain of the club. And you know, he was living his dream. And I was looking at him thinking, I wish that was me at Everton. You know, yeah. I wish that was me right now at Everton, but I'm not. Um, and you've got to prove a point to them because now I'm, I've gone the other side. I've seen many players coming to, to Everton and thinking, who's he? Like, what's 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 he bringing to the table? You know, some players are very quiet. Some players are sort of, you know, and they don't hit the heights. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be be speaking about in that way to, to my Rangers teammates. So I want to prove that you know I'm good enough to be a part of all this. They've had the, you know, the successful. You know, the the standards were really really high in training, and that's what I had to. You know, get used to that. It was like you needed a pre-match meal for training each and every day, hmm. compared to what I was used to. You know, maybe at Everton because I wasn't training enough, uh, it was sort of easy to sort of dip in and out. And you know, the sessions weren't as it was the quality as it was up in Maine. Everything was sort of spoken about, uh, walked through what you needed to do. But there was a lot of Dutch connections up there. The manager was Dutch. They've been used to this type of training session for years. Uh, I was used to maybe the English way, so it's it sort of it shocked me of how good the standard was and 
and what they were asking from you for the quality wise. You couldn't sort of switch off for a minute, and and that's why it was so successful. That you know that's why you know the the players in and around it they demanded a lot from you, and I think that always sort of stayed with me as a as a player throughout my career. That as I said earlier on in the podcast, that being in and around good players makes you good, but it also makes my standards higher. Yeah. Sometimes one way or another, I might show frustration to a player that I'm asking too much for, which is sort of my problem um, more than the you know my teammates' problem. And that sort of as you you, know, you you start playing with players, you know, one minute you're playing it with like say Ron De Boer and and Claudio Canigia, and then you, that that quality goes that your pass your game goes because you're expecting I'm trying to find a pass where I expect them two players to be, and and that's what. You know, sometimes when you're saying being around good players, that that self doubt doesn't happen. But when you score, when when the, the sort of quality goes, you've got to up your game and find different avenues, and that's what I think a lot of players find difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I've got a, a question in regards to you know the the Dutch approach to management that you've experienced. But before I get onto that one, Rangers and PSV, you know within their own right, are two massive clubs, Champions League regulars, um, but two cities where football culture, although it's prominent, is very, you know, considered very different. Um, you did experience winning silverware at both of the clubs. Um, how would you describe the differences in what football means to the people of Glasgow and Idaho? Similar. In a strange way, I know, I know probably haven't, their rivals are further away with uh, the Ajax or Feyenoord, but the mentality, um, both clubs, when, when when you sign for a club, you do the sponsors walk, you go and meet the sponsors, and when I signed for Rangers, you know, the, there was a guy there, and he's just, he basically said, welcome to a proper football club, and that hurt me, I'm thinking, I'm gone, we're Everton, you know, yeah. I'm Everton, and but funny enough, when I signed for PSV, we've done the same thing. And the guy said the same thing to me. I was thinking, what's going on here? I was mm. like, well, you know, and they said, welcome to a proper football club. And by that, you know, they're not talking about the club, not the, the distant Everton. It's how they played football. They wanted to play football a certain way, you know, and, and it, was, it was down to the Dutch contingent at Rangers that they weren't just happy winning 2-0. It was the way you won 2-0. We had to dominate. And it was what well, I was going on about Howard Wilkinson, but he said it was more of my unit of being in your forward thinking game as well as the defence. And I'd say Rangers games were difficult, but easy at times because it was like if the if Everton were playing against, you know, we we, we I played in the game with Everton against Tramia when we got battered the FA Cups and Barrison, but that's what the games were like. They were like Rangers against whoever it was their FA Cup game, and yeah. they would go all out and put the body on the line, so make it difficult for us. And if we haven't broke them down after 15, 20 minutes, our crowd will be on our backs because they, you know, they wanted us to be up by then. They wanted you know, they wanted to come in to to Ibrox and you know watch entertainment football and watch us annihilate teams. But sometimes it just never worked. Sometimes teams found us out. Sometimes we were maybe too sloppy and teams start getting into it and they start playing old-fashioned football, bullying us a little bit and and that's where we you, know, you, you start dropping points and and PSV was was similar. They play football. I you know I think I've done maybe one pass over fifteen yards and you got a bit of a half a groan. <laughs> I was like, what's all that about? And you, you realised no, they they play football and it's total football, you know. And um, they want to they want to see entertainment. They want to see the wingers one v ones. You don't want to see a left back getting involved, you know. <laughs> they, they they you know and that's. 
that's great because they, it was and it, it was a winning mentality, and that's what I you know try and put in me me column of what needs to change at at Everton because of hand in hand of being involved in these two clubs where winning's everything, yeah. and they don't you know even if they win just one trophy, it's 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 seen as a failure. You know they're not happy, um, and that's what you know especially being at PSV that you know I didn't really realise how big PSV was. It's a small family club. You know, greatly the the training grounds open to the fans. That they come in, have coffees, and watch everybody train each and every day. And it's a lovely, great community. Um, but the winners, and then if you look at the players, Romario was there three and a half years, Brazilian Ronaldo, and you could go on and on and on of all these world class players. And and then the stories of the of the physio there who was there at the time of what they were like as players, and and they'll. They were all, as we probably go back to tunnel vision, and I'm going to come here, be the top goal scorer and go to Barcelona. This is what I've come to PSV for. Yeah. And it was sort of a massive step for me. It didn't work out. But, you know, when you're playing in Holland, you know, it, all the big scouts all around the world are there. And if you're successful there, you know, you, you're going to go to Bayern Munich, Barcelona. They're going to take a chance on you. Um, if you you know, if you're any good, if you can hit the heights and the Champions League and stuff. So it was a, a huge chance to be in the round, you know, that that mentality, you know, I think one of the the, the, the season I wasn't involved in, you know, we were, they were third, uh, the last game to go. Kuman, funny enough, was the manager. Um, I think they were 12, 18 points clear by Christmas, but after Christmas, they faded away. And the last game of the season, they were third. Um, and ahead of them, I think maybe we like FC20 and Ajax. And the results went PSV's way. And PSV won 5 1, and he scored the last minute. Uh, and they won the season by a goal, but they've set up the stage in Eindhoven of coming back with the shield to come back with the trophy. You know, that's how no, we're going to win the league. But like that's the they had it all set up just in case it would happen. Wow! I was thinking, and by the time the lads got back to Eindhoven, you know, just thirty, fifty thousand people in the street, you know, in the town square. I'm thinking that just must have cost a fortune, you know, to set yeah. all up. What happened if the, in the you know, if IX won or FC twenty won? But that was just their. Their mentality of how football works for them, and um, there's a story before getting. I don't want to bore you, but before like at half six, mostly our games were were played. So we go to the training ground to get our pre-match, and we had like an hour to kill yeah. before we before we leave for the ground together. But the Premier League games would be on, so I, I still to this day can't really remember what game it was. But imagine it was the Everton Coventry game, the Great Escape. It was one of them games, so it might have been Bradford or someone, and. Out from the outside, you always want the underdog to sort of stay up. So we're watching the game and mm. with all the players, and then it might have been Bradford, or I can't remember who it was, but the, the result went their way. All the fans ran on the pitch, and then all the players are jumping up and down, i.e., like it wasn't the Coventry game for, for Everton. And I, I was like, yes, get in. You know, great. I understand that feeling. And one of the, um, I don't know, it was Philip Koku or Michael Reisiger or, or Clive, and they go, what are they doing? I said, oh, they're celebrating. They just stayed up. They never got relegated. And his response was, so the fans have celebrated them being shit all season. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. But I, I admire, you know, admire that. You know, they're just, you know, that's just the way they are. And, you know, and we've got that at Everton of our sort of, not but the best we'll do. And that's what I feel like we've, we've forgotten many a times. And there's ways and means to go about being the best, but, just that mentality of players that go like, I'm not coming here just to have a career path. I want to come here to actually win stuff. 
and that's what your question was about Rangers and PSV. People go there to win things, and when you win stuff, you 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 sort of you tick that off, and you understand what you need to do to actually start winning and putting trophies in cabinets. And, and as soon as rather the better that Everton get them type of plays into the club, it looks like Carlo has brought a few in, and hopefully that'll start breathing to the other players that they need to listen and take it on board and go look this is what we need to do if you want to be successful we need to do this x y and z and you know, carlo is the master of it you know what he's one in the game as a player and manager that hopefully that will start breathing down to the players yeah definitely and it goes back to what you said about the, the staying up in 98 it's nothing to celebrate you know it's you, know, <laughs> you need to adopt that that winning mentality but to go on to me question about the the dutch management which is something that i'm interested to hear um, obviously through Dick Advocat and Ronald Koeman, um, I mean, you don't need to tell us or the, or the listeners, I imagine, what experience Ronald Koeman's like. I mean, that his last season in charge of Everton, that 17-18 season, which ultimately ended up with Sam Allardyce in charge, was up there with the most miserable I've ever been watching Everton. Um, but in fairness, to play devil's advocate, um, as I said before, you know, my granddad, when he was playing, he was a centre-half um, and he brought me up to like study the game of centre-halves and you you touched on a few there when you were talking about your role models growing up, you know, Beresi, Maldini, uh, Cannavaro is another one for me. Mm. Um, and without doubt, Koeman is up there, is one of the best centre-backs to ever play the game. But at what point does the respect for his own ability and achievements as a player get put aside and you start judging him for his insufficiencies as a man manager? Again, I was, I was like yourselves. Um, the, obviously, the, the, the manager at the time who who, um, who taught me to PSV was Gus Hiddink and, you know, he was, again, you know, a legend of, in, in Holland and, and worldwide what he did uh, with South Korea and Australia, um, managers-wise, while he was still being successful at PSV and mm. he was he was similar. He was similar to Dick Africa of how he you know he did everything. He was uh, demanding, but it was good. It was um we had a mixture at PSV which which I think England need to learn. Um I think we are now. Um but when I maybe when Fodners came to Everton we probably weren't right as players to to bring them to the club and to let them settle and as the club as well. You know PSV are used to bringing South Americans in and and players from all around the world and make them gel and make them successful. So when we say players come to Premier League, I mean, it's time to settle and get used to the culture. That's just an excuse to me. Mm. Um, it's just down to you. Football's one language. We had Gus, I think, speaking Dutch. I'm English, can't understand a word he's saying. You've got a South Korean guy, can't understand what I'm saying or the manager's saying. And you've got South Americans. they got Gangler, we've got Alex, um, Fafan. Um, Kone was there. He signed the same time as me, Aruna Kone. Mm. Uh, so no one could understand what the gaffer's saying. You know, it's a team tour for 20 minutes, and you're thinking, what's the point of this? You know, it's only the Dutch guys can understand what, what he's saying. But he's he's basically saying, you learn Dutch. You know, you learn Dutch, and then he'll come over to each and every one of us uh, and individually tell me in English what he wants from me. You know, quick five, six-second chat, and he walk around everyone. But then it was the work that we did in training. We were, we were training for you know, over two hours each and every day, going through certain situations, how we played and how he wants to play. And that's where you learn. And that's where you learn sort of the strikers learn a partnership. That's how I learn my partnership alongside, you know, you know, uh, me, me centre halves, you know, Alex, you can't speak English or Dutch. So we have to sort of learn the Dutch phrases of say man on or uh, links and wrecks at left and right and whatever mm. it was to help you sort of in moments of games. But he was just 
a coach of if everyone does the job the way I told you to, we'll win a game. So earlier on, I think I told you a story where I kicked the ball long. That I done one of them in the cup final. You know, I got the ball, we did a one-two, and I paid it like 30, 40 yards over the top, and Hesselink went through on a goal and sort of done a half volley lob over the keeper, hit the bar, and great opportunity to to go one nil. Thought it was a good ball. I probably would have got a round of applause of everyone in England, but yeah, you know, manager said great ball, but don't do that again. <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? Well, I, I thought it was obvious that if I pass it to the midfield, he went, yeah, but just trust your teammates, trust your teammates, and basically he was basically saying, I'm a left back, <laughs> stay in, stay in your zone, and pass to the midfielder because he's on more money than you to create an opportunity for the striker. If he doesn't create the chance he's coming off. If you don't pass to him, you're coming off. If the striker doesn't score, he's coming off. And that was the sort of simplistic of it all, which being grew up the FA way, probably the FA way was always in my mindset of um, of what if situations, scenarios, of, that's where I'm probably so defensive minded, but the Dutch were more trusting in you as a player. Um, another scenario, when I first went, my first couple of games at PSV were, I'll be the last man. Uh, say we had a, um, a corner for, for, for ourselves. Everybody would go up. I'll be the, the one on the halfway line. And um, I think it was like to say, Ryan Babble played for Ajax. You know, he's fast, powerful. Mm. I've got to mark him. So I'm calling back like I would do in England, like a midfielder or someone else who, who's small to stand in front of Ryan Babble in case they do a counter attack. And I'm screaming and shouting and no one's listening to me. So you know, I went to the manager at half time and go, look, I need someone to stand on his toes in case they break. And he just looked at me and like I had ten heads. <laughs> He's like, what? He said, Why? I said, But for protection. He goes, Michael, he goes, They've got an extra man. I said, Where? He's the goalkeeper. He said, If that keeper, if you've got our goalkeeper, is an extra man. So he feels it's 2v1 stuff for Ryan Babble, which it is, really. So he think he he's basically said to me, if the keeper catches the ball and kicks it or throws it 40, 50 yards, Ryan Babble wins the ball or controls it, turns, takes you one and scores, you're coming off. So I was like, right. Strange. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, what happens if it goes over my head? And he goes, well, your position was wrong. I was like, right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Knew my job. I knew. Right. Okay. He's right. He, he's right. But that means we've got an extra man in the box to score. You know, we're trying to score games. It's, football's not all about defending, which it is a time. But he's still using the defender as a, as sorry, the goalkeeper as an extra defender. And he was right what he's saying. So he's putting trust in me to stop this. Um, if I defend properly, do my job properly, that scenario won't happen. If you know, So if, you get, if the ball goes short, I should be tight. I shouldn't let him turn. If it goes behind me, my position should be in the right position and the goalkeeper should help me out. So he, he's right what he's saying, but it's just total opposite of what I've been taught up through the, the English FA. And that just made you sort of grow in confidence as a player going, OK, he's backing me. You know, he's not you know protecting me. He's, he's, he's getting me to take responsibility for my own game and use my own sort of football and announce to, to stop them situations and yeah. sort of other pressure. In a, in a, in a, yeah, and in a strange way, you think, you know, that's that's strange, that's difficult, but it's it makes sense. And I think that's what he did with every player, you know, individually going around telling them just to you keep on doing your jobs, we'll win football games. Um, we drew one game and we had a team meeting, which we never had many team meetings. We drew one game and he just listed about 15, 16 games left of the season and wrote them down in quiet. We're all looking at each other thinking, you know, what's he doing? And he went, we're going to win that one. They go, yeah, win that one. Yeah. And then we went around, tick, 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 and do that, we won the league. You're looking at, well, that's the mindset. Mm. That's the mindset of, 
of what needs to be done to win football games um, and to be successful. And that's what you know, really struck me. And it struck me more when I went back to England to try and implement what I learned in Holland. And not take away the England side, but to sort of try and merge it together of how they go, how they sort of see football and how England do and try and merge it to sort of get the best of, of both worlds. Yeah, that, I mean, that I think that sure that plays compliment to that sort of Dutch philosophy that you can date back to like Renus Mikkels, Johan Cruyff, that sort of era of the sport in the country. But was in say in relation to what we've seen in his final season at Everton, um, did did he, did he show those colours um, towards the end of his spell at um, PSV? Yeah, he, he did. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier on. Um, unfortunately. Um, like Hiddink brought me to the club and then he left um, and then that's when Ronald come in that in that summer but I was you know I was made up and I was like you as a player as a defender you know his, his, his record the only time I didn't like Coombs when he scored against England when, mm. <laughs> when we, but you know what a, what a player what a career he was so you know when he when he came I was you know, like a sort of made up couldn't wait for him to come through the door and, and learn off this guy and, and hopefully you know add to my game and he also brought the assistant manager um, who had who had been with at Rangers for three or four years, uh, Jan Balters, and he was the assistant. Jan knew me inside out. He knew of me, me injury situation, he knew of me knees, and I thought, great, absolutely perfect um, scenario for me. This, you know, I've got a guy who's going to train me every day who knows me inside out, and I've got Ronald, who, you know, legends of the game, I can learn off. But mm. you know, fortunately, um, he asked me to do something which I wasn't willing to do, which I've been told numerous times by surgeons not to do, which I had done in the past, and it's broke down. Was to play a match on artificial pitch, uh, and I was like, I can't. I, um, you know, you, you know, I can't. You speak to Jan. The, the, the surgeons told me there's absolutely no chance. But um, just don't do it. So I went to see Jan, and Jan went, Mike, I can't do nothing about it. He's the boss. If he wants you to play, you've got to play. I said, I'm not going to put my body on the line. You know, yeah. I can't, can't put my body on the line again. But it's a friendly. It's not, you know, cup final or whatever. You know, I probably would have, but it's a, it's a friendly. I said, I'm not going to put my knee in risk before the season starts and then be in and out of the side. <clears throat> and Ronald took that the wrong way. He didn't like it. And I was sort of acid, basically. Huh. Uh, I was out of, you know, just in and out of training, changing rooms and, you know, still sitting next to like Kone and Clive and Koku and they were talking to me going, what's going on? I'm going, well, you know, nothing I can do. He's sort of washed my hands with me. So it was a long six months for me, um, but I was in and around it um, with the, lad, the, the lads. Again, like Evan, they, they were flying, started really well, but you could sense the, the atmosphere at the training ground wasn't there or thereabouts after Christmas and the results started showing. Um, you know, they, they top of the league flying and then as I said before earlier on they were third coming into the last game of the season and luckily enough the the, 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 the lads won it um, by, by a goal but I think the the, the right was on the walls you know and uh, you know he, he was asked to leave after that season and that's only I feel that the, I think the, the players lost him that the players lost what he was trying to, trying to do and maybe the decisions he, he made too many players upset and uh, Rightly or wrongly for him, it's a sort of had a knock-on effect in the changing rooms, and it started, when it starts affecting the results, you know, the club made a make decision. So, it, you know, if you look on paper, it's like he's won the league, he's left, but mm. it wasn't. It's all as rosy as what people make out, and um, he, he, I think he go to Valencia, I think after that. Um, but yeah, when it, when he come to Everton, I was just hoping that the same wouldn't happen. Um, 
and the Dutch style is different. Um, I was used to it at Rangers, um, but when he came to Everton, he did change a lot of the culture and try and make it as Dutch as possible with the, like the dining rooms where the Dutch managers tell you when you can eat and then when you can leave. And you feel like a school kid again. Yeah. So I could understand Leighton Baines and Jaddy Elker who've never witnessed this getting told what to do, like getting told, like you know, YTS all of a sudden. But that I couldn't sort of bite me, I had to bite my tongue at PSV and Rangers because that's what I'm looking at, you know, Claudia Kennedy and Ron De Boers and Frank De Boer and um, and Philip Cook listening to this, so but that's culture. They've been doing this culture since they were six, seven years old, so that's it's not new to them. That's what it's normal for for us. It was strange. We go, we're getting like treated like little kids. Yeah, and they, yeah, but that's the way they they think it is. Uh, you're all in there together. You know, they don't want players. I understand. They don't want players running away from trading straight away. They want to, but it was just sort of the way you go about it. And I, I just sort of hope that never sort of creep into. The Everton way, and we had a sort of an easier start with Cooman as well. So the results were there, but you know, as soon as when the going gets tough, and the way I thought he approached Ross Barkley, I thought he was going to be good for Ross. I thought Ross was sort of had his arm round his shoulder probably too much by Martinez, and I thought Cooman's going to come in and tell Ross a few home truths, and you know, hopefully get him to that next level. Um, but then I think he started using Ross as a bit of a scapegoat at times. Um, and as a young kid, but big pressure on his shoulders. He probably should have kept that in-house more than what he, he did publicly. And um, probably Ross took it. And it was probably true. Majority of what Ronald was probably telling Ross was probably true. And probably majority of the fans probably would have agreed with. But it's probably putting it out in the, the press. Always bringing Ross into the media. Um, probably didn't help Ross's sort of relationship with him either. And then he started losing players, how he treats certain players, that uh, it creeps into all around the squad. So it was no surprise that it, it started happening at Everton. And you know, he didn't want it to happen. Um, but his past history of what he did with me personally and then um, for Valencia and you know, other clubs he's been at before, it's, a, it's just the way he goes about it. That's his man. That's how he... Um, once they go about his management career, and that's just up to him. Um, and it's up to the players that I have to stand up and be counted and and, and get on with the job. Um, but for one reason or another, some players are sort of, you know, they just lose that sort of desire to work hard for a manager who's mm. probably a little, little bit too di- disrespectful for, to, to other uh, professionals. So, yeah, disappointing. Um, you know, we were singing his name when he first came. You know, again, it was, it was, it was all like the smiles are back on our faces and we're playing half decent football. But, you also got to remember when he come in, there was probably too many other people at the club who had uh, a say. You know, Ronald was being backed. You know, we bought him from Southampton, and so he would have signed to the club, knowing that players that he wanted to bring to the club will, will be getting signed. But then you know, we had sort of Steve Walsh as well. Who yeah, of course. We, well, we wasn't that the club to go and find players as well? Yeah, and and then maybe the you know, the, the, the the chairman would want to bring his players in. So there's probably too many people wanting to bring their own players in that he had to sort of try and balance out to get the best team. And, you know, you look back at the team, we had so many, we had like three number 10s and we probably had like three or four right wingers and we were crying out for, you know, maybe calling for Leighton Baines or a left winger or, you know, there was other positions that were priority. Um, But that's sort of the problem when we had an owner with big money and we didn't want to fall in the trap of sort of spending it for, for spending sake that we didn't sort of 
you know, if you look at the club now, they're looking at assessing what do we need, what do we need now, what do we need in the next 18 months or so. Back then, it was sort of like we need him, him and him, and we're just going to take by them all. You know, we bought Classen, um, who had a fantastic season at Ajax, and you mm. like, okay, understand that one. But then, like, Wayne comes available, and they didn't want to pass that past the option of not taking him. So, like, okay, we'll get Wayne. And it wasn't like a, a forward plan of, hang on a minute, you know, now, now we're getting Sigerson as well. And and then you know, Delafeo, we had, you know, right wingers, like three or four right wings, three or four number 10s. And it, it was, it just, it just felt like the club wasn't sort of stable enough or strong enough to go, right, let's stop. Let's pass on that decision and let's let us look, you know. We've learned from that now, I think. Um, but that was sort of disappointing as well. We're backing the manager, which is fair enough. But then also, you know, Ronald's going to have pressure from upstairs. He, he probably wouldn't have listened, but, you know, he's got, you know, pressure from the fans and upstairs to put the other players in as well on top of his players. And he's got to try and find that right mix. So it just, it just seemed the club was a bit of a mess at that time as well. If you, if, you know, it's not just all Ronald Koeman's fault. The players needed to stand up. You know, I keep on saying it's up to the players to go out and fulfil um, you know, look after yourself. I think sometimes if the manager, if you're not the manager, sort of not your flavour of the month, go out and you play, you play hundred percent. You play ten out of ten, and then there's no 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 fingers be pointed at you. Um, but I think sometimes it doesn't work like that in football, unfortunately. No, definitely one hundred percent. Like when you've got a manager like that, where it's you know his way or no way, you're dealing with a completely different society now. As to you know. The '90s and and what you you experienced and you know there's a great example there and in, in the treatment of Ross how things soured. Um, now, not to overlook the times at your other clubs, but I do want to get onto your work post retirement. Um, but at the likes of Manchester City, where I've just spent the last three years going to uni, uh, and Leicester City. Um, what did you learn during that time? Obviously, you went through so much so young. Uh, that led you down the path of, of agency work uh, during your final years as a pro. Well, yeah, well, you know, the city thing was a uh, was just getting back to the UK, um, looking at peers with the manager, and they were a club struggling financially, struggling in the league, struggling, and yeah, I've seen sort of city progress where they they had sort of. <laughs> well, what would you call it? it a fake money or whatever mm. it was? We had the Thailand owner come in Shino and Watcher. how he wanted to yeah. shape it. Yeah, you know, he, he come in, he was in around the training ground, and and his his way of what he wants Man City to be was the way it is now. You know, it was his idea to have these training camps to buy other teams in around the world and have the Man City brand everywhere. Um, fortunately, he didn't have the, um, the the money to basically do it. Mm. Um, and then when when the, the current owners come in, you, us as players are thinking, oh, here we go again. Um, but then when you start seeing um, the players start coming through, when you see the standings of Tevez and Rabinios, you think, oh, hang on, this is actually real. This is real now. Um, and they're going to try to implement, you know, what they said a couple of years ago. And you're thinking, you know, it could be, it could be fantastic, but it's going to be difficult. And obviously we're seeing what City are up to nowadays. And, you know, it's a great, great club, great fan base. And it's, you know, it's the way Everton fans are. They've been, they've been, they've been in the mire for, for many years, getting relegated a couple of times. So they're just on a journey now on love and life. And yeah, but you know, they, 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 they've got that mentality, mentality that we keep on going back to. That you know, yes, they keep on saying, well, let's not forget they were in League Two not so long ago. But now, when they're not winning the Champions League or not winning the league, it's not good enough for them. And that's where hopefully, fingers crossed, we can be. 
at some point of yeah, we know it's going to be difficult now with financial fair play and it's just Everton to come come up with loads of money when majority of the Premier League have all got money nowadays. It's not like the back in the 90s where Blackburn had money and he could outspend Man United and that was it. Mm. Uh, United could outspend everybody else and then Chelsea come in and blew them two out of the water. Now we've got you know, like nearly every club in the Premier League can, can have a good go in, in a transfer window. So it's, it's a difficult market, but you know, it is what it is. At least we've got it to spend and hopefully we can get back to winning ways. Um, and my me, me, me career basically finished at Manchester City um, after my knees operations again. Um, just breaking down the physio, just just speaking to me about my afterlife. Really, he's going look. You know, after football, you you want to be playing football in the garden. Your kids go for walk. He said, "You're not if you carry on like this, you're not going to be able to do it." And mm. I didn't I didn't listen to him really. Uh, I tried playing again, but unfortunately, I broke down the Christmas period. Um, I was I was playing games uh, for Mark Hughes really when I shouldn't have been playing, but I was chasing sort of a contract. I was you know the way City was that. Pierce came in, signed me uh, to the end of the year. Then Sven come in, and he said, "Well, I'm going to be buying somebody else." So, um, yeah, I sign you for the year. If you do well, we'll get you a new contract. Okay, fair enough. All I wanted was an opportunity, so I did that. But then, unfortunately, Sven left, and Mark Hughes come in, and he said the same thing. Uh, so, I'm going to buy more players, and it's up to you. And I did. You know, I was fighting me corner. I was doing well. I played majority of the games up to Christmas, but. Just them games of training, playing, and you know, I never played on a Monday if I played Saturday, and I had to do that over the Christmas period, and that was it. Then my knee blew up, mm-hmm. and then the the bad news of like, yes, your season's over, and so is basically your career. Um, and then sitting on the couch for two and a half years or two years or so, and trying to get sort of back fit, but I just knew I was sort of I wasn't. You know, you're not training each and every day, so you're never going to be at the level of the players in and around you. Um, and Sven got the opportunity at Notts uh, County he called me and then he got when he got the Leicester uh, one I, I said the same thing I said no I'm not I'm not ready I'm not fit enough I don't know where I am in E-wise and he just invited me to go pre-season he said come pre-season with Sweden and I just you know just come have a laugh with the players and just pass your experience on to them all just help me as well so I said okay so there was no pressure on me to get fit you know uh, even though I wanted to, uh, but I went pre-season. I surprised myself. I played nearly every game, uh, more than probably most of the players. And I was thinking, I'm holding my own here, you know. And I'm, hopefully, I should get better. As um, should then assigned, um, and it was like buzzing. I was back, and it was. But me, the mindset was, yeah, would have been what if? What if I, if I said no or whatever? I thought I can't. I've had two years on the couch. It's boring. You know mm. what I mean? It's horrible. I didn't know what I was going to do with me, 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 me life after football. I was sort of just sitting away rotten. And you're like, I, I, had to, I have to say yes to the opportunity. And so, you know, as soon as I passed the fitness test and I was holding my own, I signed a contract. Um, and it was great to be back, great to be part of it. The lads again, you missed all that. Um, and the lads, were, you know, Sven was being in good place for the club. And there was a, a whole new sort of, Mindset changed. Sven again, winning mentalities changed the club's mentality of what needs to be done to win football games, and and the, the got backed by you know the owner, um, and you can see it all sort of similar to City that where they wanted to be, they had an eye on where they needed to be and what they wanted to be, and it was Sven didn't last because he you know he didn't get the results that the, the, the tie owners wanted to win. Hmm. Um, the Again, it was about levels of mentality where he needed to be at. Sven thought 
he could get us there. And we just had a few difficult um, difficult results that went against him, but it wasn't good enough. So he left. Uh, Nigel Pearson come in, and I was still living at Liverpool, travelling, and uh, he he knew I wasn't going to be playing many games. So we shook hands and we left. So then I'm back on the couch again. Um, but I got to speak to you know, a lot of players at Leicester who were, you know, asking me for my advice in my career. Um, and we, we kept in touch and you're chatting away and you just speak to your own ex-teammates, what you're up to now, who the where are you? So I don't you know a lot of players were coming to the end of their career trying to find, you know, there was teams in India, like Alana was going to India and um, and you're thinking, how's that come about? And then a guy reached out to me um, who was starting working for an agency and they said, look, can I help? Can I get on board and consult? I was like, I'm not really, don't like agents, don't really want to be known as an agent. (laughs) You know, uh, it's sort of not my cup of tea. But I I went to do my coaching badges and I realised that's not me. The coaching badges, which I thought was always going to be me, um, it just wasn't when I went up to do them. Funnily enough, Unzi was my coach in Scotland to do it. But I was, I think I went up Monday. I was back home by Wednesday and thought, oh, this, <laughs> not, not my cup of tea. I, you know, I should have done it when I was still playing. Um, I should have did it when, as soon as I finished playing, I was sitting on the couch for a couple of years. That's when I should have, when football was still in my head, you know, um, but I was probably too busy sulking about my knee to do anything about it, really. And so when I started to do my coaching badge, it was probably a little bit too late. And it wasn't all fresh in my mind of how to go about it. And I just realised, I thought, I haven't got the time to do all this. I'd rather just spend time, quality time with my family. Um, so that's what priority. And then when the phone call happened, it was great to be back at the football again. Going to football games, watching, going to Finch Farm, watching a couple of games, going to your local park, watching games and sort of consulting, scouting. But then... Sort of, people find out what you're up to. So your phone rings more than it has for two years, and right. it's just advice. It's off friends, really, because friends just think I wasn't doing anything. It was friends, like kids starting into the football world, and you know, I just ment- mentoring them, really, just giving them advice. And I thought, well, that's what I'd like to do. You know, it's probably second best of being a coach. If you see coaches nowadays that say Finch Farm, they're loving sort of seeing a guy improve and go to the next level, and they feel like proud of a father when they've made the debut. And I've thought, well, if I can't do that, the next best is to, you know, to mentor. So I got involved in an agency and I, I liked it. I, you know, I learned a lot, you know, and that's when you sort of, uh, of your own career thinking, ah, oh, that might make sense now. And mm. and you started learning the game and I did that for a few years, but I was putting my name to somebody else. Um, and when you're actually not the official agent and it's not your company, you, you don't know what might happen uh, and I just felt I'd rather have more personal relationship with like your players or the coaches or the managers uh, so the only way to do that is to, to start your own one up so you know I basically fell into it and the business partners into the corporate side of things has always wanted to be um, get into the agency side and, and his phone was always the same as it was phoning by other friends and family of helping their lads out and experience because he, he's trustworthy for the family so the agents have been on the phone what do you think should do and and we just got our heads together and said, look, let's have a good go of it. You know, we're, we're two lads who, you know, the ins and outs of football on and off the pitch. So we've got all the tools and all I want to do is mentor you know, any young kids coming through or senior pros to help them. Um, I know what it's like being a player. I know what agents are like and being approached by so many. And there's some brilliant agents out there um, and they do get a lot of stick. So it's sort of not trying to change the the mindsets of people's mindsets of agents, but you know, but it's, it's part of the game. Clubs use them more than players, and it's sort of 
you know, learning how football works on the outside has been a sort of eye-opener for me, but it's been something to keep me involved in the game. And it's just great that you know, you've got a few young kids on your books and it's you know, lockdowns at the moment, so it's difficult. We're not allowed to go and watch them, but as soon as that reopens, get life to get back to normal, it's great to go and watch these lads, you know, getting coached off great coaches from great clubs and hopefully they'll improve and they'll have a, you know, um, a career in the game. You know, what level that may be is just that it's down to the, the boy himself and his determination and his hoping for the, an opportunity and some clubs might give him a, you know, it's all time and every club, as I said earlier on, is different. The, an opportunity might be arise and I'll be on his side. So hopefully that he's uh, he's ready and he's had all the tools from our side that he's, uh, it's up to him to go out and, you know, show everyone he's capable of. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, in any talent-based industry, agents are just a necessity now. Um, and I, I understand 100% um, why, especially, I guess, during your playing days, you might not have the, the best perception of agents. I mean, I've, I've had agents on my podcast before, and for me, it just makes perfect sense for an ex-pro to go in there as an intermediary. Um especially for young players, you know, like you said, we're growing up in a new era of players now. Um, and it's funny because it, I brought back to it, I seen an Instagram post from Jose Mourinho the other day. I can't remember what game it was from, but Tottenham have just won away. <laughs> and he's standing there in the dressing room uh, and every player in the shot is on his phone. And he's thinking, yeah. he's got his the caption, sign of the times. I was thinking like, that is the sort of culture that they are brought up in today. Um and I guess, is that part of the challenges that you have to face now in your current role? And I think first and foremost, you know, do you, do you enjoy it? Yeah, well, it, yeah, that is it. And it's, I remember it brings back to my days of coming through to going, oh, look at them now. Look at them with this X, whatever boot you've got on or whatever. And I think it's just how society works, you know. Mm. You know, I think everyone was the first to get rid of the YTS, you know. So I think like Lane Osmond's year at the club, they didn't have to do any jobs. So then they got seen to be like, oh, look at these. Like, you know, everything, they got everything wrapped around cotton wool. Everything's all perfect for them. But the clubs nowadays, you know, they're getting kids a lot younger. Um, agents are getting involved with families and, and players a lot younger. Um, and it's it's something I, I was over, I'm, I'm half still against. I feel like the parents are the agents. Your parents yeah. are the agents. They've been taking the kids to, you know, wet and windy trainer sessions on Tuesday but you know through the week and you know the weekends of basically the whole family's weekends has been kiboshed because they're prepared to take a you know the young lad or young girl to a game at the weekend and they're the ones putting the hours in and the play and the player itself he's the one doing all the work and then, you know sometimes an agent comes along you know 15 16 and you know, with a suit and tie on and takes that all away and it's yeah. sort of it's it's not it's it's, it's not us it's not, I don't really like that but I understand the need of it, because um, clubs will clubs will try and the utmost to, you know, to sign as any players they want. Um, and the, the agents there have you'd be wise. The, the agents wise have seen what the clubs can do and what they can't do, um, and what the players' worth is. And I think that's the hardest bit as a player is knowing your worth and realistically your worth. Some players might be ahead of the, the game realistically, and some players might undervalue themselves. And that's yeah. what an agent's all part of. And as I said, the majority of our work is, is hands up, um, you know, to be alongside, but you know, I'm sure of our players and mentor them. But a lot of our work will come from clubs, you know, looking to, to move players on or you know, to find players to, 
to you know and and give them a list of players that we can approach if, if they like them or not. Um, so it's, 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 the, the, the players themselves, everyone's different, you know, in every walk of life, every player's different, you know, every person's different. So it's sort of, because you're playing football, doesn't mean you're all going to act the same, you have to be the same. And we can see probably so many players, are we getting called like old farts or whatever, you know, there's Rio Ferdinand, there's a few other players who've got, I've got into uh, the agency work and they've got their own companies as well. And I do feel it's right to have someone uh, who's played the game, who can understand what the coaches or managers or the clubs are probably saying to them um, instead of going straight to an agent. Uh, but also you need that agent commercial side of things and the lawyer side of things to, to make sure you're getting protected uh, and the club are doing the right things about them. And I think the majority of the clubs are fantastic nowadays. You know, the the welfare of it all is a big, big issue right now. Uh, the mental side of games of releasing players, it's got to be protection of never never was when I was going up. So that's still new to me, but it's yeah. great to see the clubs are aware of it all. And um, it still needs to improve. I still need us up. There's a lot, a long way to go on that. But at least the, it, it, it's getting talked about. It's getting assessed and they're doing things a little, slightly more easier for players to, if you're not wanted to, to move on to other to, to other clubs or another career paths to help them, that they're not just sort of pushed to one side and that's it, you're into the open wild world. So that's what we're sort of in danger of. Um, being around of agencies is speaking to parents and, and, and letting them letting them know and they do know, you know, but also being realistic as well of, of what could happen. You know, I've heard Jamie Carragher talk about his lad, you know, what a you know, Jamie's Jamie's son's doing well. You know, at Liverpool, then he went to Wigan, and I know he, he he's seen it all himself, and he's at the parents side of things. So he he's got, he's got a balance like a mentor and his own son, and also probably being his son's agent in the future if you know his career path. But uh-huh. these lads have had a great career already. Of instead of being in school and going home and being on the streets, that they've travelled the world with. You know, I've seen kids at you know at Everton, you know, go to these um, tournaments in you know in, in America or in Holland and. You know, they're the seeing the world. So if you're a parent, be a proud, just be proud of that and Definitely. enjoy it. If, if it happens, it happens. So if it doesn't, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, yes, it's everyone's dream. It's easy for me to say because I've done it, but it's the hard work dedications down to the, the player itself. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes um, you know, doors do close via injury or a change of circumstances at home or the club or you know, club either lose a lot of money or they get more money. So your, your pathway is blocked. And, all players want to do is play football, you know, and if you play football, it puts a smile on on your face and your family's face so you're, you're happy. So we're just there to hopefully just sort of make that transition as smooth as possible and um, and fingers crossed it happens for a lot of the boys, but also being realistic as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, just looking at signing off now, it's been absolutely, you know, wonderful to chat with you. Uh, my background is, obviously, I've just finished a degree in football business and media um so exploring that you know that pastoral care element of, of making sure lads grow up within the right environment uh, especially online and digitally their use of social media how it impacts them mentally obviously and making sure that doesn't you know impede on their career development um, you're talking about that sort of desire and tunnel vision to want to work within the industry obviously i, I haven't managed much of a career, playing career but uh, it is something that I really want to tick off my bucket list is potentially working within that, you know, that realm of uh, of being a being an agent. Um, for a for a guest speaking session, I think it was during my first year at uni. Wayne Rooney's agent, um, 
come in and, and obviously yeah, that was absolutely fantastic to hear some of, some of the advice that he had. Um, and one of the things he asked, obviously, I think obviously with his experience with Wayne, is he went, is anyone in here from Liverpool? Um, and I, I grew up in McGull, so I've obviously put my hands up and I was like, yeah, I, I'm from Liverpool. He went, where are you from? I went, McGull. He went, oh, you're a posh one then. I was like, oh, nice one. <laughs> have you got any sort of advice for anyone who aspires maybe to explore that route of the career down the line? Well, yeah, it's sort of, I see a lot of stuff now that there's, you know, online, there's a lot of agents, like old school agents who were agents back in when I was still playing. I've, I've probably gone off um, a separate issue. I've tried, the, the, the agency's opened up now to a lot more people. Um, and he likes to sort of mentor, um, you know, newer agents who like to get into the games that you sort of do a, like an online course or a course with them to sort of go through the motions of what the whole package of what you need to think of um, from club side to player side to all side of things that you can you can dip your toes in uh, and think right okay that's something I really like that's something that I can do and I feel as an agent you've got to be you know very very unselfish as well because mm. at the end of the day you, I've always felt as a player um, and I'm doing all the work and this guy's going to take some money off me you know it doesn't work that way it's sort of uh, you know the, the agent has got to protect his player protect protect as much as possible and and but have that connection have the the contacts to speak to people to help them if and when needed if opportunities um don't happen have you have you got the, the contacts to reach out to coaches managers that managing directors and chairmen to to put your player i.e client forward for, for an opportunity to and it's you're only probably as an agent as good as your as your players at the yeah. end of the day. Um, because if you if you if you start selling maybe your player um, to a, to a chairman or to manager to a director who who's nowhere near at the level you're pushing, they're, they're gonna, no matter who you are, they're going to stop putting the phone. They're not going to answer your phone calls. You know, so you've got to be so that's what realistic of where these players can actually get playing football. Um, I want all my players to be playing. Um, I want them to each and every game is very important because each each game I know you you be learning stuff, um, and it either brings you on as a player. You find that level, you get more confident. You might be going to level up again. So as as an agent, it's sort of you know it's great to see, but for new players, new new people want to get into the game and into the industry. It's there's a there's a lot of factors you've got to you know to have yourself personally and um with the new day and age of players, you know they like to. Majority of players like to be muddled now. You know, the, back in my day, I probably hardly spoke to my agents until you know <laughs> the contract was up mm. or the club was kicking me out. But I think a lot of them, you know, they like um, they like the interaction, um, being at the being at the games, um, understanding where they are on their career path. What's their pathway? Have you got a pathway ready for each and each one of your players? That um, you know, the yes and no's of certain situations that can happen in clubs and. And it's 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 just good to be part of football because you know it's it's everything. All I know is football. Mm. Uh, so the new guys who've who haven't had that opportunity, what I've I've been through, it's it's great to be a part of. It. You see how clubs work. You see how each academy is slightly different. How they approach certain situations. Um, it's not sort of sometimes nice. I see low, loads of agents on these in these young kids' games, sort of standing there. But it's sort of part and parcel of the game nowadays. So, 
parents, I always really ask, say to parents, look, if, if, parent, if agents come up to you, you know, just speak to them. Take as much knowledge out of them as possible. Speak to everybody. But at the end of the day, it's your, it's your child who's playing football. It's your child who wants to sort of get into this this sport. So just back them up, be a parent. Um, and just knowledge with everybody, you know, and if you're coming through as an agency, it's, it's, it's I think we're all help each other you know you speak to people situation scenarios do happen rules do change and i think every the phone rings and people sort of help each other out and um, make it as smooth as possible um but it's 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 a it's a job i never thought i'd be into but it's a job that i'm uh i'm really made up by i'm a part of it now and this is going to be the, the long term for me you know i'm not going to be going off and doing x y or z i'm just i know this is this is me now um this is what i'm I've signed up to do, but I'm enjoying it and I'm going to be mentoring, you know, for a long period of time alongside a business partner. Excellent. That, that's really nice to hear. Um, and I wish you every success in the future with it. Um, you're obviously very insightful uh, and analytical um, with your experiences. You've got a hell of a lot to, to offer to the game and to the young players coming through. Uh, I just want to say, Michael, it, it's been absolutely fantastic to speak with you and you're, you're more than welcome to be a guest on the podcast in the future. No problem at all. Thanks for your time. Take care, Michael. Thanks for speaking to me, mate. Cheers. No worries, mate. So that.